6: In three, two, one. Everybody just wants to be contented. Everyone wants to be happy. Right
3: now is the most important moment. It's just so unfair on every child who doesn't have options. It's
1: amazing how many unintelligent people They're, they're not yeah. so What is the matter with these
5: people? We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we
6: just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96.
5: Extra WhatsApp 083 396
6: Email opinion at 96fm.ie
5: The lines are live Let's kickstart the conversation This is the Opinion Line With PJ
7: Coogan
6: On Cork's 96fm
7: Yep, Thursday morning Good morning to you 0818 96 96 96 The number, the text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96 Your email is opinion at 96fm.ie dot So, where do we even start? Another interest rate hike coming from the European Central Bank, probably three quarters of 1%. If you are someone who has a tracker mortgage, that's going to put a couple of bob on your repayments every month. Yet another electricity supplier has announced a massive hike in its prices, Energia this time round, another 29, 39, whatever it is, percent added on to the cost of electricity and gas. And it just seems to be getting worse and worse and worse. I'll come back to that. Research in my hand. Would, if, if I asked you to tell me what was the most commonly expressed phobia in Ireland... I don't think you'd guess unless I told you. It's not spiders. It's not heights. It's not open spaces. I would never, if I was put up against the wall, never have guessed what the most commonly experienced phobia is in Ireland. I'll be talking to someone later about phobias, and particularly why that one is apparently so common. I would not have guessed it in a fit I wonder, could you? Uh, And have you got a phobia? Because if you have, then you'll know it's no laughing matter. I am terrified of snakes. Now, I can watch them on the telly, but I am terrified of snakes. Queen Bee dislikes heights. I mean, really dislikes heights. And she's not too particularly handy on enclosed spaces either, like claustrophobia. But never would you guess, never would you guess the... The most commonly experienced phobia in the country. If you have one, uh, another one, clowns, that's not it either. And a lot of people are scared of clowns. We'll come back to it, though, and if you think you know what it is, or if you've got an unusual one, or you know you've experienced one, or you'd like to tell me what it's like to actually have a phobia, like I'm unlikely to meet a snake in the street, That that isn't going to happen. So thankfully, my phobia tends to remain... Um, None, not a problem, as it were, for most of the time. But uh, spiders, another job; mice, another one. You know, your thoughts, if you have them, to oh eight three three ninety six ninety six ninety six, and particularly if you can guess that most commonly experienced. For I would never have guessed it. I don't think anybody here would have guessed it either. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. But I started. We always seem to be starting now with the cost of living because every day brings a new fear, a new experience, a new price rise for people to worry about. And we spoke earlier in the week about the launch of the Cork Cost of Living protest, which will be Saturday week, 17th September, at 2 o'clock on Grand Parade. And the organising committee is gearing up for what will be, they expect, a very big event. carol Bridgman, formerly, of course, of Debenhams. Hi, carol
8: Hi, PJ. How are you? Good, Good morning.
7: People are gearing up for, for a very big event. I can remember, I'm old enough, you wouldn't be, but I'm old enough to remember the tax marches uh, back in the 80s. Uh, people are saying this could be as big.
8: Well, to be honest, PJ, it should be as big, if not bigger, because, I mean, the cost of living is just affecting everyone across all di- all different um, parts of life and it's not going to get any better. If anything, it's going to get a hell of a lot worse coming into the winter with the new pay rates, uh, with the new ta- um, tax rates on the energy costs and everything. It's just going to get worse. Yeah.
7: Another electricity price hike announced yesterday. So all yeah. the major suppliers have jacked it up yet again. And like this is only September.
8: Yes, and I mean a lot of people still. Myself in particular, we haven't started putting on our heating yet. So when that starts kicking in and the bills start rolling in for that, it's just going to be impossible to keep on top of it. Yeah. There's no way. There's no way that we'll be able to. I mean, pay everything that's that's needed to pay, and um, with everything going up from food, clothing, everything is affected in all aspects of life. People yeah. can't afford to travel. People can't afford to. People can't afford to eat. Let um, alone saying, come come winter time now, when it really starts getting cold and we have to put on our heating, it's going to have a massive impact. Yeah,
7: yeah. I mean, I was just saying there during the week, a couple of times, uh, I looked at bills from say this time last year, and most people, most people, their summer gas bill would be their lowest of the year. So, yes. my summer gas bill in 2021 was under 50 euro. Now, that would include the time we're away on holidays. So, that's one of the reasons it's really low. My summer gas bill would have been under 50 quid. This year, for the same period, again, including us being away on holidays, it's just under 80. Yeah, yeah
8: I'm, and that's when you're not using it.
7: And that's when we're barely so using it. Yeah, that's
8: a... That's and like that, now people start putting on the heating. Their um, kids coming home from school or eat late evenings and stuff like that. It's going to be astronomical. I mean, even the fear now when you see these businesses getting massive bills. I mean, one getting forty four thousand for a gas bill That's for right. one month. I mean. It, businesses are going to close, people are going to be out of jobs. Where, it, where are they going to get the money to be able to pay these bills, to be able to run their homes, to be able to live? Yeah. So, like, that, everything is going to have a knock-on effect. Yeah. And it's going to affect millions of people across, across Ireland. I mean, it's, it's affecting everyone across the world. But I mean, Ireland has the biggest um, living, living cost in Europe. And like that, it's not getting any better. We're already That's a very expensive anything. country
7: to live in. That's the truth. We're already a very expensive place to live. But Caroline, well, uh, played, uh, let me play David advocate for a second. Like, really, it doesn't matter if 20,000, 30,000 people, 50,000 people gather in Cork on Saturday week. It's not going to change anything. Because the the market is being driven. This is what you'll be told. The market's being driven by the war in Ukraine. The market's been driven by other things. We we can't control what's happening.
8: No, we can't. We can't control what's happening, but we can control how people are living. And I mean, that's where the government comes in. I mean, the government can pass legislation overnight in order to bail out the bankers. Why can't they pass legislation to be able to put a cap on energy prices in order to make it that bit easier, to make it that bit more manageable for people to live? Yeah. Because, I mean, heating, <laughs> eating, their needs, their their human basic Correct. needs. And, I mean, this is what the government needs to be aware of, that they have the power they could do it for the banks overnight. They've done it for the water rates within four hours. They passed legislation in order to get in, in order to get to, um, Irish water up and running. Why can't they do it for the people that are voting them into power? Yeah. I mean, why wait for the next election in order to be making promises and to be making people's lives a bit more a bit more easy? Why not do it now when the people need it most?
7: Mm-hmm. Do you? And think- I mean, that's why
8: people yeah. need to come out.
7: Do you think people will?
8: i do you know what i'm actually very optimistic because everyone i'm speaking to the i mean the the forefront of every conversation is the cost of living the price of the shot, the groceries in the supermarket the price of running their household their electricity bills are just getting out of control and pe- that is what's foremost in people's minds i'm talking to people and they're all on the, they're all on the same wavelength and it's coming out it's getting out on the streets and making their voices heard with together as a group in order to pressurize the government to act now we need action now before it gets to a level that i mean we're going to see people we're going we're going i mean you have very vulnerable people in society that are not going to be able to to put on their heating they're not going to be able able to afford to be boiling kettles to make hot drinks throughout the day or cook a meal. These are people that are very, very vulnerable. And I mean like that, you you have, government has to take action in order to prevent Mm. unnecessary deaths and unnecessary suffering for these people.
7: Yeah. Caroline, thank you. That's Caroline Bridgman, one of the organisers of the uh, Cork March, the Cost cost of Living protest, which is happening here in Cork a week before the national one. The national one's in Dublin on the 24th, which is three days before the budget. But we have the one in Cork Saturday week, the 17th of September. Just looking at that Energia story from yesterday, 29% in electricity prices, 39% in gas prices. It will add over €500 to the cost of using gas from energy over the course of a year. So that's, what, 45 quid a month. You'll pay more for your gas. Uh, Dual fuel, you'll get a deal for doing the two. So it'll be going up a third. So that's €1,000 to the cost of the bill, which is, what, per month? God almighty, that's nearly 100 quid a month. And that's just one provider, and that's a multiplicity of increases. That's the fourth to fifth price hike. And there'll be more to come as we head into winter. That is the, really the the very, very scary part. Marie-Claire Janikin is another one of the uh, protesters or organisers of the protest on Saturday week and joins me. Marie-Claire, the same question to you as I put to Carol Feet on the street will look great and sound great but economic, I mean, realistically, this is an economic problem caused by global events, or am I wrong?
9: Morning, PJ. Um, that's a, yeah, that's that's a good question. Boots on the street um, always matters. Um, it always matters. Um, and I think the importance of it is to let people know that they, they do have power. Um, at a time, I think, when people now feel very, very helpless to what's going on around you can make a difference. There's, We've seen it in the past, the power of, the, of protests and people taking to the streets in, you know, a mass movement. We've overturned a decision on water charges, you know. So, you know, there is power, there is strength in numbers and, and strength in that solidarity.
7: Yeah, the government will make an economic argument and say that while there is a crisis and according to some of the newspaper reports this morning, they're preparing to throw two to three billion at the crisis right now they say they still must balance the country's books going forward and it's very difficult to do both, but they must do both.
9: Well, look, I'm neither uh, I'm neither an accountant nor an economist, yeah. so I can't comment on the books. Um but what I can say is that there actually is no reason that they can't act on this. If they can if they can intervene and push you know minimum pricing on things, then they can come in and put maximum prices pricing on things as well. well, well, um, well
7: and that law does exist actually. There is law there, there's consumer law that allows them to intervene in, in a market like that. So that that's 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 true. Like I was talking to you before about the cost of, of school books, but I mean it's not just screw. everything has gone through the roof now.
4: Everything
9: has gone through the roof. Um, and I mean, the, the problem, I suppose, that I really see here is that this government are being reactive. They are reacting to each crisis by throwing 100 here or throwing 100 there. And it's not actually getting to the root of the problem. It's a sticking plaster on it. You know, so if they throw another, you know, kind of subsidy for energy now before the winter at people, that's sticking plaster. What happens when that falls off again in the depths of the winter and people are back to square one? It, it, it's not actually getting to the root of the problem.
7: I know and you there's no you're, not, you're, you're not an accountant, you're not an economist, you're an ordinary mum, and, and to be honest, you probably yeah. have more common sense just from being an ordinary mum than most of the people in, in government. I think, anyone anyway, talking to ordinary families, they, they, they have to budget with, with very tight amounts of money. What would you consider to be fair, Mary claire Fair? Uh,
9: what do you mean in what, terms what of... Do? Um, what,
7: what do you need? What do you think they should do for ordinary families like yours?
9: Well, the government, right, okay, well again, I'm not a politician either, um, but I suppose one example would be that um, the, um, the government owns 95% shares in Electric Ireland. All right, So they have uh, I, I can't understand why they can't I- intervene and, and uh, y- you know, um, say that they won't sanction the price increases. Yeah. OK. And then the re- result of that is so say they they're, they're lower than their competitors and people begin to either well, move to Electric Ireland or well, or the other companies will reduce their prices in line. I mean, it's that would seem like one very simple solution yeah, yeah. um, they have they have to cap things. They have to put a cap on it. They have to reintroduce, um, you know, rent freezes, I think, and and, and caps on rent increases as well, and a ban on evictions over the winter. Yeah.
7: That would help at least, says you. Yeah. It's very hard. I think I I'd, I'd, I'd hate to be I'd hate to be doing their job right now. I'd hate to have Boykle McGrath's job or Pierce Doherty's job trying to sort it all out. I really would. But then again, that's what we paid them very, very big salaries for. Thank you, Marie Claire. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. Actually yesterday Sinn Fein came out. Pierce Doherty was listening to him on one of the evening news programs and he was talking about this two billion that we're being told the government will probably throw at the problem, the immediate the immediate problem, two billion. They're saying they'll spend on budget day. And Pierce Staherty was saying, you know, you'd need to be thinking more in terms of four billion to even start to ease the situation. The presenter put a question to him and said, you know what, Pierce? I bet you if the government said four, you'd be saying eight, and if the government said eight, you'd be saying sixteen. That accusing Pierce Doherty of just, you know, opposing for the sake of opposing. But if you take a look at the figures, there are figures here in front of me. The, the government in the UK, Liz Truss's new government, she has said she'll spend 150 billion and more if necessary to ease the cost of living on ordinary householders. Now, If you do a match of population base, uh, our 2 billion here would be 24 there. So they're spending multiples of what we're told will be spent here. Germany has yet to announce what they're doing for their people, but it's likely to be multiples. So the British government, Liz Truss's government, bad and all as people say they are, has committed to spend multiples, multiples of what our government has said it will spend on driving down the cost of living for ordinary families. So maybe there is something in what Piers Doherty was saying yesterday. Kate, you'll be, you'll, you'll be going to Hi. the protest, how Yeah,
3: Yeah, um, I met a woman yesterday and she said, I won't be able to do it. I will not be able to pay those bills. And what can they do to me? I mean, what, what's the most they can do to me? I haven't got the money. I won't have the money. I mean, they can't throw everybody in jail. But the main thing is, she said, like me, we'll all be going to the march. And the more people that come out to that and the show of strength, that's going to be a huge wake-up call for the government. Because do you remember when all the pensioners came out, when they were going to go at their Things. Oh, yep. you
7: reminded me of something, yes. now, Kate. Yeah, yep. went up there. And
3: then, yep. And they, were, they, they weren't long-changing their tune, were they? But what they're going to have to remember, the more people that come out to that march, right, Saturday week, they're all voters. True they're all voters and I mean if it's if the bigger the march the better and hopefully something will change because people just haven't got the money where are they going to get it from
7: true no you're right I'm not disagreeing uh, with anyone. on a, light,
3: on a lighter mo- note she said I can't go on the game I'm too old oh <laughs> <geez>. <laughs> and that was we were laughing about that after <laughs> so we better whisper that but,
7: <laughs> but you she know we're skipping here's, here's a little tip that someone told me a few years ago, and I think it's still right. the case. Uh-huh. If you can only afford to give your electricity or gas provider okay. a quarter of what yes. they've asked you for, mm-hmm. they cannot cut you off
3: They can't. And do you, an before, to pay. do you remember before you could go into your business post office and you put some off every week? That's right. That's kind of gone away, you know, because everything is online. Yeah. You know, and that was very handy. And people did. They just went in on a Friday and they did it. That's right.
7: That's you know? Right. So
3: you're... they might, even if they went back to that for some people, they'd appreciate that as well, you know?
7: If you're only giving them a tenner, they can't cut you they off. They can't cut you off.
3: So there you are. So that's what she said anyway. But she's, as I said, she's too old and that's all mine. <laughs>
10: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Take can't. care. Bye. Bye. Thank you.
7: Oh, God. That's the beautiful thing about working at this job in Cork, even in the midst of... Depressing news about the economy. You get a good laugh. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. TDs all gave themselves a pay rise last week. I'm so mad. They're able to find money to make sure they're okay. They'll be all right while we all struggle. It's infuriating. PJ, I got pre-pay meters put in about ten years ago now. Best thing I ever did. Both the gas and the electric, and the meters are with the main companies. I keep them both up around a hundred euro in credit. Best thing I ever did, no bills. Yes, I notice I need to top up by more each week, but I can budget for those increases on a weekly basis. Yeah, a lot of people did that in recent years. You buy credits and you put credit in the phone, like you put credit in your phone. You put credit in the gas and credit in the electric. They say it works out more expensive. I, I really, really don't know. John in Cove says, this is all just a bluff. I never knew we imported so much from Ukraine until this war started. We've all this import of foodstuff purely and simply because Irish farmers were paid off not to grow the same things. Our fishermen's waters are destroyed by EU vessels, fishing in an unsustainable way. We import all of our gas, or pretty much all of our gas, from the UK. The UK are not subject to EU rules on gas prices, and in fact have just broken them. There's no reason why we should be paying the same amount of money as Germany, which deliberately, let me stress, that deliberately avoided UK gas and chose, say that again, chose to become dependent on Russia. Bad choice. Why do we suffer for somebody else's bad choices? John, that's great. And there's another thing as well. Um, Fergal's been pointing this out to me the last couple of days. They're all charging now based on the cost of gas. Even if many of them, many of the providers are using sustainables, the price of wind did not go up, but still they're charging as if they were generating using gas. That's true. Now, Dara from Bonkers was explaining that in the basis that there's only one grid, but that argument only holds up a certain amount. I go to the post office, I pay off a bit off my bill every month, says this car, co- and it's great. And you know what they did recently on post? I wasn't happy about this. This is a side, a side issue now, but I mention it anyway. I used to do, the, I used to have mybills.ie. It was this great website, on post ran it. It was mybills.ie, and I used to sign into it once a month and throw a couple of quid at the lecky and a couple of quid at the gas, and it kept going you know and yes you might pay by direct debit but if you had a few quid coming in you throw it in you throw it, in. it was like going down to the post office and once you kept doing that you were fine my has been wound up i got a letter the other day to say my bills.e has been wound up you can still go into your post office i think you can but, but my seems to have been wound up i i don't know why that is at a time when more people would use it your thoughts on all of this, welcome. 0818 96, 96, 96 Will you be going to that march on Saturday week? Saturday week 17th at 2 o'clock in the Grand Parade. Will you be going? I'll be away that weekend, but I think I would go. I think I would go. F- for all the use it'll be, I think I would still go. I think I would. I'm, I'm that incensed about the way prices are going up. I think I would.
5: Now you can ask your smart speaker to play Cork's 96FM. Say the word and I'm you, what you
6: Play Cork's 96FM. I can tell that
10: you like
5: it There are now even more ways to listen to Cork's 96FM Tune in on your radio,
6: online, on your mobile
7: Cork's 96FM Come back to Cost of Living and your concerns and price rises and all of that throughout the morning and I have no doubt we'll be speaking about it time and time again between now and not just the protest in Cork next week but the protest in Dublin the week after and of course the budget on the 27th Of September, which is two weeks from next Tuesday, but let's go back to it. Actually, was when I looked at the records a year ago today. It's a year ago today. I was speaking to Evan Gerns. Now, Evan Gerns's brother Andrew died in Cork Prison in October of 2020. He he took his own life. In he died. He was taken into prison on 23rd September. 2020, and uh, he he took his own life, and I spoke to Evan last year because of the delay in getting an inquest. Uh, the inquests, of course, there was a huge bank backlog of inquests developed during the pandemic. Uh, the coroner's court in the Washington Street had actually taken over and used as an office, so there was there was a load of inquests just never happened over that period of time, and when I spoke to Evan. Literally this day last year, uh, he was just looking to know when there would be an inquest uh, so the family could, could attend and find out what had happened to Andrew. Why is it so important to you to have an inquest?
11: It's closure, you know, it's some answers anyway, you know, other answers that you have been asking in your head, or, you know, it's the last thing you think of at night, you know, and you know, if you just had the inquest, it's a closure to... To myself, my family, my mother, my sister. He's two kids, his partner, and it's just part of the grieving process. Really, PJ, isn't it? Yeah, we understand that he took
7: his own life, but there's more to that, that that you want to know, and it won't be able to come out until there is an inquest. Tell me a bit about him. What was he like?
11: Yeah, he was always joking and pranking. He was a talented footballer, and loving father. his two kids, Sting and Sophia, and he he was always. Joking, he just went down the wrong path, you know, and he just ended up it ended up this way really. How were the family dealing with this? Um my mum goes to the grave every day. It's tough, just take day by day. Were you close yourselves as brothers? Yeah, I'm very close, yeah. yeah. He was he was always trying to win one over, I mean joking. <laughs> yeah. yeah so. Was he older or younger than you? He was older, he was the eldest, he was twenty nine when he died. That's Evan Gerns, speaking to me, literally, as I said, when
7: I checked the notes this morning,
11: literally a year
7: ago today. Now, that inquest did open yesterday and and was adjourned again. Liz Dunphy is writing about it today in the Examiner. Opened and adjourned, Liz. Why? Good morning.
2: Good morning. Uh, it's, It's heartbreaking hearing Evan's voice there, I think, isn't it? You can really hear the... The heartbreak and, and the tragedy, um, and yeah, it's just what families go through, isn't it? While well, they're they're in these in these terrible situations, but um, yeah. So basically, yesterday the inquest was opened and adjourned, as you said. Um, the main reason it was adjourned was because um, of incomplete CCTV. So the barrister for the Garans family, um, Elizabeth O'Connell, senior counsel, she had raised this as a concern. So she wanted the full seventy-two hours of CCTV around Andrew's tragic death to be supplied to the court, but only a condensed version of the CCDV appeared to have been supplied. So just the time immediately following um, the time that Mr. Gerns was found essentially in Cork prison. Um, So... So basically, Mr. Cummins, Philip Cummins, the, the coroner, in court, the Cork coroner, said that, that it's practice for the prison service to always retain the full 72 hours of CCTV around a death in prison. And he asked why this just this condensed version was supplied. He said that he wouldn't have condoned such a such a practice. And that's essentially the reason why why it was adjourned. He said that it was in the interest, he was doing it in the interests of the family, in the interests of fairness, that's that it was only that, that Elizabeth O'Connell should be allowed to view the, the full, um, the full 72 hours of CCTV. Now, just to mention as well, the um, uh, the legal representation for the state, Helen O'Driscoll, did say that the CCTV only showed what was happening in, in, in the public corridor outside, you know, Mr. Guerin's cell. So it, it, she felt that it would not answer the questions that Miss O'Connell had regarding what happened to Mr. girns while, while in custody. Um, but um, at the same time Mr. Commons said that this full 72 hours should have been supplied and that's essentially why it was adjourned Um, yeah.
7: One assumes Liz that the 72 hours is still in existence that it hasn't been deleted or anything.
2: Yeah no, yeah, it emerged in course that it, it was in existence. So there were some questions during the coroner's court yesterday because uh, about whether it existed or whether it didn't, but it emerged that it definitely did exist. So so it's going to be adjourned until, until that can be viewed. Like Mr Cummins did say that... That there, he wouldn't be able to set a date. Like he warned the family that it may it may not happen now this year. But I spoke to to Evan afterwards, and he said that he was very happy with Mr. Cummins' decision. He felt that you know it was only fair that the process was done properly, um, that that all the questions were answered about his brother's death. Um, the family the family have a lot of questions about his death. They've asked whether you know if he had received. Different care. Whether his life may have actually been saved, Um and you know, it's it's a very difficult time for them. They want all the questions answered.
7: So we don't have a, a date as to when the interview might reconvene, do we, Liz? No,
2: no, no date has been set as of yet. And
7: is there even a mentioned date when we might get an update? No, no, that's ag- that's no,
2: not not. For yeah not that I'm aware of. yeah, I mean, Evan did say that the weight is just torturous to families. Obviously anyone who sat through an inquest is aware of just the the really distressing detail that families are exposed to during during an inquest. It, it, you know it it's unavoidable. um it's answering the questions about a death. But he said that the wait for that, you know, it's just so, so, so difficult for families. But at the same time, he said that they're happy that it was adjourned so that it can be done properly. Mm. And, you know, they can get all the answers that they need, which hopefully they will get.
7: Did the coroner, Mr. Common, did he ask why there was only a condensed version available? of the season
2: He did ask why nobody was able to answer that question. He said that that was not 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 the common practice that the 72 hours have to be retained around a death in prison and he said that he questioned why he he kind of compared it to requesting medical records from a hospital and only being given an edited version of medical records whatever records the hospital decided to supply as opposed to supplying the full amount. He he didn't un- he, he didn't understand why that was done and he said that he he would not support such a practice. Okay.
7: We'll see where it goes as we don't have a reconvene date for the inquest. Thank you for that, Liz Dunphy of the Irish Examiner, who was at the inquest yesterday. The inquest of Andrew Gerns opened and adjourned again over an issue to do with CCTV from Cork Prison. And I want to tell you, there was a couple of reasons why I played that Evan Gerns clip before I went to Liz, um, and for uh, many reasons, but one in particular was, and this doesn't happen too often in this job, I, I met, subsequently met Evan Gerns. Uh, I won't tell you where, but I met him, and he walked up to me in the street, and he said, you're PJ, aren't you? I said, I am. And he said, I'm Evan Gerns. He said, thank you so much for giving my family a voice. And I thought, such a lovely thing. For a troubled family who have lost a loved one, to to reach out to me for doing my job. Thank you so much, and I really appreciate that. Which is why I went back to look this morning, and to find it's a year to the day. There's a big word I can't even spell it called serendipity. Anyway, oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. <clears throat> we'll follow this one because uh, it it has to convene again someday soon. <laughs>
5: Cork Diary. On
7: Cork's 96FM.
6: The Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a not-for-profit organisation or you have a fundraising event you would like mentioned, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email the details to Diary at 96FM.ie The Cork Diary. With Tusla Fostering. Now seeking foster carers for short and long term emergency and respite fostering in Cork. See fostering.ie On
5: Cork's 96
7: if you're interested in our discussion on the cost of living and the protest and electric and gas and bills and what to do with them, I promise we will come back to that because lots of people want to get involved in it. So that's coming. But first of all, Fiona, we got this email a couple of days ago um, from a very distressed listener. And uh, we've reached out to a, a friend of the show to see what advice can be offered. But let's let's get the email first.
12: Yeah, this um, lady contacted the show, PJ, and she said that she was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa in 2019 and she was guided to the services of the Cork Eating Disorder Centre. However, they deemed her body mass index as too low to avail of any of their most multidisciplinary services, which left her then in a very vulnerable position of being too ill to avail of outpatient services. Yet the GP offered no alternative options as there are not any in the entire county of Cork, she says. Uh, as you You can imagine my illness spiralled out of control due to the lack of non-existent services necessary and I inevitably collapsed and ended up in A&E. Standing at 5 foot 4 inches I weighed a mere 4 stone 10 pounds. Doctors couldn't believe my physical state and I almost died on several occasions due to cardiovascular issues and deathly low glucose and blood pressure levels. Had the necessary services been available to me I am confident that I would never have ended up in hospital where I spent 12 gruelling weeks. Due to the length of my admission, I was forced to withdraw from my studies at UCC and I'm now repeating my final year. I want listeners of Cork to understand that all of this is completely preventable if given the necessary services. How many more people is this happening to? How many people has our Minister for Mental Health, Mary Butler, left in the dark and suffering in silence? I can say with certainty that it is a lot more prevalent than listeners may imagine. On the medical ward I was admitted to, the nurses told me they have on average six patients in a similar near-death state as me every year on their ward alone. Access to specialised eating disorder treatment is only available in Dublin and costs in excess of €5,000 per week with a minimum stay of 12 weeks. Nothing for medical card patients. The National Clinical Programme for Eating Disorders has promised an eating disorder hub with a specialised outpatient treatment team for the Cork region. However we are still waiting to hear anything and not a penny has been spent Despite funding being approved Wow I know it's, it's um, very distressing and she is going back to her studies and she's hoping that um, you know that she will be able and that she won't have a relapse but um, it's, it's very hard to hear that PJ and that this is the situation that so many people are finding themselves in
10: Yeah We
7: reached out to someone who's been on the show before from the Marino Therapy Centre Jacqueline Campion Jacqueline, morning
13: Morning PJ, thanks so much and Fiona for having me on this morning.
7: Uh, that's a distressing email but I'm sure not something you haven't heard before.
13: Yeah absolutely um, and you know I send out and we send out compassion towards that young lady and you know as Fiona said there uh, at least there's some sort of light at the end of the tunnel being able to return to studies. Unfortunately this is it's you know we're hearing this daily um, and it's nothing new and it's nothing new in the last two decades unfortunately and we see this time and time again you know we're we're so encouraged to speak out and address our mental health and then when we do it's almost we're left in the dark and where do we go to now to say that there there is there's it might sound very strange to say But from my experience, I've never seen so many resources and and services available, but it's actually like having a system in place where we can actually effectively and efficiently guide people and families in need towards those resources. And as Fiona said, I mean, distressing is absolutely an understatement. You know, people are feeling lost um, from the get-go. And then just, as I said, that guidance and that system in place is, is missing. Um, And that's just an ongoing issue, as I said, for decades now. Um, Mm. And it doesn't have to be that way. No one ever has to find themselves like full recovery from an eating stress is possible. And the questions that we are time and time again asking is that what's not happening here? How are we getting to a position where people find themselves needing to be hospitalized? Because... It's re- recovery. It can be so practical and so simply applied when you have the understanding of the condition of eating distress. So this is where my fear and our fear often lies is that throw, this is a multifaceted issue and throwing money at the problem and, and talking. You often hear it's a, it's almost like a political issue now where politics, you know, TDs, throw, you know, more funding. But actually, it's about where even the current funding is going. Um, How we're using that and and how we can effectively support the people who need it most.
7: Like, you you just outline again why you and your colleagues there at the Therapy Centre, the Marino Therapy, you use the term eating distress rather than eating disorder. Now, our correspondent (coughs) was diagnosed with anorexia, which we would have called an eating disorder. That's part of your whole thing. You don't call it that.
13: Yeah, absolutely, PJ. And thank you for kind of shining light on that, that we like over 30 years in Marino Therapy Centre, we haven't worked once worked with somebody who is disordered. You know, there is a distress that is eating the person. And when you're experiencing the behaviours that are connected to um, an eating disorder, as it's described in the the, DSM-5 and the manuals, it's, it's actually the understanding that this is a condition of the mind. There is a virus within the mind. There is a culmination. There is a regime. There is a bully within your mind that has colonized and the rest of the person that they actually then feel that they are being controlled by a dictator. So what's really important is that like we often get very blindsided by weight, BMI and food. And this is really just the tip of the iceberg. And this kind of comes down to even the funding that we currently have, the services that we currently have and how we can be more effectively approaching this. It is, it's you know, just to kind of look at the food and the the eating part of that eating disorder is really like that inverted commas, fixing the food. It's like putting a Band-Aid on a pothole. And, and it's so unfortunate that not only when then after a 12-week programme, where are we then sending people afterwards for follow-up? Because yeah. this takes some time, you know, so... As I said, you know, what's happening in terms of we need to be educating ourselves, we're educating families, we're having the resources readily available for when someone is contacting a GP or a dietitian or a nutritionist or wherever their first point of call is. You know, we work very closely with schools, colleges, that we can actually guide them to the resources there because there is so many, and it is about even educating ourselves what is recovery? It never has to get to a place where people are being hospitalized for mm. such as the, the the lady who wrote in. This can be so preventable, but we really need to zoom out and kind of ask her. This is a reflection of our society as a whole as well. And we all have a responsibility as a society. You know, we, we're, we're talking about this funding all the time, but I'm looking at even like some of our largest charities and are getting half a million of funding each year. Let's look at maybe even where that's going and not to minimize the issue. I'm incredibly passionate about this. And I do not want to minimise the issue and the situation that we're looking at. But there's also there's two things of looking at it. Where is the money going that we have at the moment and what's happening there? And then also the second part, our focus on the people in need. What can we do about it at this time? What is available to me? There? And and that's as Marina, we've put a lot into actually having a, a low cost to no cost cost. Um, Resources readily available for people to access 24-7 because you can do so much. I often say to the people that we're working with, it's in between the sessions that's more important. You don't have to, you know, the big numbers uh, that's even read there, 5,000 a week. You, you don't have to approach it that way. But mm. as I said, it's that first step where we kind of guiding people to direct them to these readily available resources where we can learn, you know, um, about how to support ourselves and our loved one and that's where I suppose to save some of the frustration to be continuing the, as i said this conversation we've been having with politicians and governments for decades so now we're shifting it and we would encourage people even in their own personal situation is like okay well what can I do about it in the meantime because yeah. we're leaving people in the dark there and There's they don't a, need to be. The stark
7: part of that email standing at five foot four weighing four stone ten And believes strongly that had the necessary services been available, the confidence should never have ended up in hospital. Do you agree with that, that no one Mm. ever has to get to that point if the right interventions are there, Jacqueline?
13: Oh, 100%. And I suppose I'm conscious of maybe even other listeners listening in that the the nature of the condition and the nature of eating distress could often look at that and say, well, Janie, I've not maybe gotten to that weight or size or BMI and I'm not that bad. So it's actually even across the board that you know people of all different shapes and sizes are finding themselves in very dangerous situations and you know you mentioned the cardiovascular issues it never has to get to that point it is about actually learning bring first of all bringing the awareness so if we actually even have this you know kind of more awareness of like noticing the eating distress, noticing and the certain behaviors but looking at the thinking the behaviors is the tip of the iceberg so the more you have awareness and understanding and kind of saying Okay, I think there might be something up here. I'm noticing a lot of fears. I'm noticing a lot of distress within myself, but there's nothing to be ashamed of, or worried about that, because there's always a solution. And I think there's a huge deficiency, not just in sometimes resources, but actually hope. That actually, when you are noticed, if what I what we feel is that if we had more of the awareness and understanding of what an eating distress is that this is a condition of the mind this is almost like a not good enough syndrome you know that there's a not good enough syndrome there and that there's always hope and there's always a solution so the more we're putting that message out there that if you are noticing that maybe you've heard something or you've read something or you've listened to maybe a podcast or there's a speaker in college or school that's come in or the workplace and you feel like you're maybe relating that's absolutely okay there's nothing to be afraid of there and and then you're educating the person on how this dictator, you know, I would refer to the the, the eating dictator, distress, it's like a condition, yeah. it's like the dictator within the mind. So when you bring awareness to that and you take away the fear and you equip yourself with the tools of how to effectively challenge the dictator starve it of its power, reclaiming your own power. It's coming to the question of even who am I? Because when you have a strong sense of self, of who are you, and valuing yourself and respecting yourself and recognising that you do deserve a place in this world, that even if you might feel like it at this time, we all have something to offer. Mm -hmm. It never has to get to a place where your destructive behaviours are putting you into a place of a near-death situation. And that's where we need to take a look at ourselves in government, as a society, This is a a condition that comes as a symptom of disconnection when we are connected, when we are working with one another. And that's why I'm often kind of, you know, a little bit hesitant to kind of speak about how there's what's going wrong in a system, but really kind of focusing on how we can be even helping one another, even within the community, as the world is opening back up, you know, learning how to actually make eye contact, like this are sitting with one another as we pass one another on the street. Mm. You know, do we feel connected with ourselves, with the world around us? And that's something really that it sounds maybe a little bit can be a little bit airy fairy and maybe a little bit fluffy when, when there's such there's so many strong fears. But there are recovery can be simple, but the fear will will, will try and complicate mm-hmm. it. About you know, a minute, so about that, a minute left,
7: Jacqueline and I wanted to bring something up with you that occurred to me with uh, personally to me last week. I met an old friend, and that's as far as I'll go. I won't identify the person, but got a much loved relative who is in the grip now of a, a serious mm-hmm. distress. And, and he had mm. tears in his eyes as he told me that she said I'm starved with the hunger but I'm not allowed to eat that's the beast in her head telling her isn't it?
8: Yeah
13: and one thing is about even with the time exactly that that's the condition and it comes out in lots of different formats you know and maybe even to make your listeners aware, we're actually running a workshop on the 24th of September that is specifically designed to be learning to equip family and carers and friends with effective and practical tools of how to support one another because to recognise that's the condition speaking, we need to learn the language of the condition and the eating distress and learn the language of freedom so we can effectively combat it every single day on merinotherapycentre.com we are putting up a, a tip every single day of learning about how to effectively Challenge that dictator within the mind, that beast in the mind that you mentioned. There's blogs there, there's podcasts, there's three separate series, and we continue to invest into having that readily available resource. As I said, the workshops on the 24th of September for family, friends, and carers. And um, there's more information about that on marinotherapycenter.com. We have groups every day, okay. we're training teachers and um, lecturers. This can be conquered that your thoughts. You are the awareness and the observer of that what feels to be very real. That dictator can be conquered and you can be fully free. There is always hope and there's always a solution.
7: Jacqueline, I'm going to leave it there. I uh, always love talking to you. Fascinating take on all of this. Marinotherapycentre.com uh, could be an interesting starting point for anybody's family.
5: All this stars on one show.
13: This
5: is Dua Lipa. Hi, this is Tiesto. Oi, this is Shane Con. Hey,
13: this is Becky Hill. Hey, it's me, Justin Bieber. This
5: is Joe Corey. Hey, I'm Dermot Kennedy. The Hit Mix with Shane Bucks on your radio. Weeknights from 8 on Cork's 96FM.
7: Jackie, hold on for me, you're on the radio there in about a minute's time, 0818 96 96 96, the number the text to WhatsApp, 083 396 96 96 the email is opinion at 96fm.ie we'll be talking about phobias later this hour. One person has gotten the phobia that is the most reported as it were in this country and it's not the ones you think about. It's not spiders, it's not claustrophobia it's, it's nothing you would come up with off the top of your head trust me, but it's the most reported phobia when they did a survey I was saying snakes Eugene said that's very common in Ireland uh, there are no snakes here, so I put this down to the Garden of Eden and the snake destroying the lovely life of Adam and Eve thanks Eugene no I just think they're horrible slimy cold things I don't want them anywhere near me and I'm afraid of being swallowed alive by the damn things because they tend to swallow their dinner whole don't so mind Adam and Eve Eugene that's why I don't like snakes 0818 96 96 96. plenty more comments coming in on electricity prices and the cost of living and how we face into a winter where the prices are just going through the roof and how we can manage our electricity and our gas without breaking us. Jackie, you changed Good morning, to PJ, meters. Yeah. How are you? You changed to meters.
14: I've be, I've been on a prepay meter for a few years, and two years ago I changed to Electric Ireland, and it was grand and things like that. But I've noticed in the last three months that my twenty euro week that I'd normally put in during the summer, I, was, I wasn't getting the week out of it. Yeah. And, if, you know, I live on disability, so it's kind of quite difficult to be throwing that extra tenner in then, you know. Yes. So I decided to shop around with different companies and um, got all different, oh, they give me this and they give me that. And when I compared, like, it wasn't their unit price, it's the daily standing charge where prepay meter is the highest. And Electric Ireland was the cheapest daily standing charge. Why people think that, well the meters are slightly higher because budget meters, because they take your standing charge daily instead of every two months,
10: mm.
14: and um, so Electric Ireland were the cheapest by far. So I got onto them and your men. So he said, "Look, if you we'll put you on a loyalty program if you stay with us, they gave me a hundred euro credit straight into my meter
10: mm.
14: and put me on a night saver thing as well." So. Like, I live on my own, so, like, I would only do washing say, twice a week anyway. Yeah. But I had a load last night, so I put it on last night and did it, watched the meter and dried it and the whole lot and it only cost me 55 cents to do all that. Now,
7: do you have to do last that at 2 week. o'clock in the morning, Jackie? Like
14: No, that's... no, no, I did oh. it um, between 8 and half-9 last night.
7: All oh, right, okay. When does night saver yeah. kick in,
14: like? It kicks in about 7.30. I see. And yeah. it's last something about 8 o'clock in the morning, you know? I see, I see. I see. So, yeah, like my my biggest problem will be now if I have to use my oven because it's an old one and the hob you know they they do eat the electricity
7: yeah yeah and so, do you heat you use electricity for heating as well do you
14: I've, I'm all electric yeah it's storage heaters you
7: must be nervous about the winter
14: I'm terrified I'm absolutely terrified you know because it's an old building I'm in I'm in a ground floor apartment and it does get cold like mm. you know but um. I have an eco-heater, alright, it doesn't use as much, but you know, I'm just, like they top that up now with 100 jets, i I put 30 into it myself, so I will keep topping that up every week to keep it going, you know, and then when the fuel kicks in, that goes straight into it as well, I put it in myself, you know
10: I see, I see, so, I
7: see.
14: Um, but I mean, how people with children are going to cope this winter, you know, they should really shop around to get, and it's the standing charge is the biggest thing rather than the unit price, you know? Yeah.
7: And you, you mention you know, the standing charge, like it is utterly ridiculous if you leave your house or your apartment in your case unoccupied for two mm-hmm. weeks. You don't do anything, you go and you live around around the corner with your buddy for two weeks. You still get a standing My charge. My daily
14: standing charge is taken every night at ten to twelve. And how much is it? It's two something. Per day. Oh no, um, about a week it works out uh, to something, you know
7: So about 40-50 cents a day Yeah, about 40-50
14: cents just for sitting there and I could have nothing on and it's still taken, you know But Electric Ireland have the cheapest standing charge Yes, yes, yes You know, so just to tell people to shop around and it's not the unit price to look at the the standing charge because that is the biggest Thank God I don't have gas because Mm. I I certainly wouldn't be putting my van for the winter
7: all right, Jackie, thanks. Um, um The government says, Councillor Ted Tynan, the government should take the energy companies, gas and electrical, under state ownership and then take the profit motive out of the system. There's gas at Corrib and the old head of Consale. This gas belongs to the Irish people. That's from Ted. And a few more. Uh, you, if you can't pay, they can't cut you off. Well, about 10 years ago, I ran into difficulties with my bill. The company agreed to me paying €30 euro a week till the bill came down. Seven weeks later, they sent someone out to cut me off. He refused when I showed him my receipts and he rang the company. But they just sent somebody else out and they cut me off. I went to prepay and I've never looked back. I had to pay €300 to get my ESB back on at the time. I cancelled direct debits a few years ago, PJ. I I pay the ESB €50 a week. Just got billed this morning. It's 352 so I'll pay it weekly till it's paid. Same with the gas, so I control my finances. If I'm stuck some weeks, I give them 30. No issues. Direct debits clean us out when you have nothing left for anything else. And also, the less I use, well, the better. I stick with the credit union and the post office anyway. I don't want to go to the bank. If more people use the post offices, they probably wouldn't be closing. Oh eight one eight ninety-six 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 and more besides. So I will come back to them. So what is the most common phobia in Ireland and what are your particular phobias if you have them? Now you'll know whether you have a phobia or not. If you just don't like something, that's not a phobia. If you're actually terrified, if you start coming out in a cold sweat, and can't be in the same place as as that of which you're phobic, then you're in trouble Like I I can remember a few years ago, it's quite a few years ago now, a, a colleague former colleague, brought in a pet snake and left it in the corridor in a bag and I stood in the lift I couldn't come out, I went back down, I couldn't I wasn't doing this programme at the time now, but I, I I, could not come out of the lift. And I rang him and I said, would you take that bloody thing out of my way? If I can't see it, I'm all right. Once I can see it, and it was a side in the back, I couldn't. I actually could physically not come out of the lift when this bloody thing was in front of me. Uh, I don't mind snakes, I'd take a snake over a butterfly, says D. I would go berserk over a spider, but a butterfly tops it. A butterfly came to my house one time, I had to go next door and ask the neighbour to get it out. Uh, I know that. I know the phobia, PJ. The one that's most my my body has it. It's a fear of going to the bar to buy your own round. No, it's not. Some fellas would say their phobia is the wife. <laughs> yeah, the phobia is, and you got it right, Teresa in Cove. It's small holes. The top five are claustrophobia. That's being enclosed. Oh, closed. Acrophobia, which is heights. Arachnophobia, which is spiders. Agoraphobia, which is open spaces and crowds. And tripophobia, which is small holes. Rachel Agotto is a clinical hypnotherapist. Uh, Rachel, first of all, phobias in general. How common are they? Good morning.
4: Good morning. Phobias are quite common. Actually, just researching to come on this morning, these figures change, but to somewhere between 10 and 20% of people that experience a phobia at some point in their lives, and that includes myself, actually. So, um, They're not that rare and they do, you know, affect people in many different ways. But as you said earlier, you know, irrational fear is really how it shows up and it can be fainting even, it can go to that stage or a raised heart rate or feeling nauseous, panic attacks, breathing out of control. So it can affect somebody in the most horrible way.
7: Yeah, as I said, I told you the story about many years ago, a friend brought in a pet snake, small, harmless, non-venomous, completely... No danger to me whatsoever. I couldn't come out mm. of the lift when I saw it in its bag. Could not come out of the lift. Mm.
4: Mm. And what's interesting about that, PJ, is some phobias are stem back from sort of an inherited survival instinct. We actually have sort of an imprint to keep ourselves safe. And there's a couple of things. Snakes and rats um, are sort of imprinted into our brain, our lizard brain, because they represented poison or... Or disease. And so we sometimes have a very sort of inflated fear of that because it actually stems back to caveman times and a way of staying alive. Yeah.
7: Do you want to share your own phobia with us, Rachel?
4: I do. I realise, PJ, I actually had one as a child and, you know, I have one currently and I'm 53 years of age and have worked as a therapist for seven years. You'd think I'd have cured myself by now. The one I had when I was a child was pogonophobia and it was actually terror of men's beards. And I know, you know, there's usually an origin of a phobia. If we if we look back far enough, we'll usually find that there was a some kind of trigger, basically mostly in early childhood. And I know mine There was a Frenchman and he was a very nice man and he used to come and visit our village. And what he did was kiss everybody. And as a small child, he seemed so tall and he had this enormous black beard and he'd reach down and kiss me on both cheeks. And I remember being absolutely horrified and I would scream and run and hide in my bedroom anytime he came to visit.
7: Yeah, and that's the origin (laughs) of that one.
4: Yeah, and that's the origin, clear origin. And the other one is I suffer from a terror of bulls. Cows are not too bad, but bulls I'm petrified of. And I really have never found out the origin of it. All I can assume is that I'm a Tory and maybe somewhere along the line, you know, Mm -hmm. something in that. But it's a very real fear. And I behave irrationally if I'm put anywhere near a bull. So everybody who has phobias has my complete compassion and empathy. It isn't easy, you know. It's not a fun thing to have.
7: You would expect when you ask around, as it were, you know, heights will come up. Spiders will come up, being enclosed, like people who get very, very shaky in a lift or something like that, that will come up. But what really surprised me was holes and by the kind of holes, like a bath sponge would terrify some people.
12: Yes.
4: And it is an unusual one. And personally, I've worked with a lot of phobias as a clinical hypnotherapist. I've never come across that one. Now, the origin of it doesn't, you know, isn't very clear. But there was something I found in research that suggested, again, it may be an inherited survival thing that Um, rotting flesh has holes in it so that would suggest disease and injury and potential blood poisoning so that's the closest I could get to any form of formal um, understanding of the condition but for me I would suggest you know, it's some kind of thing maybe seen from a cot as a child and a sound associated with it. Do you remember when you, you were in your bed as a child and there were shapes and, you know, darkness in the night? You know, we can associate shapes and colors um, and sound together and create a fear, particularly if it's unknown and we can't actually visualize it and remember a lot of our phobias stem from childhood experiences. They're required. So, and particularly in and from the mind and the eyes of a child, we can make interpretations that would really not be quite the same yeah. as an adult. But the thing is, is that our brains imprint. And this is the interesting thing is we take an imprint and our brain gets this flash of fear or flash of threat to us and then creates a corresponding activity around it. And that would be the anxiety, the, um, you know, the breath, the heart rate going up and fear, because our brain's primary objective is to keep us alive, to keep us away from danger and away from disease. So if you think about that, that kind of gives us an understanding of where a phobia may have come from mm. also our parents may have had a fear of rats so for instance we inherit the phobia so we can be conditioned as well to be phobic about certain um, areas and yeah. events
7: if if a phobia becomes uh, or gets to a point where it's difficult say a common i mean for example with yourself now and beards right clearly mm. you 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 have it under control but there's a lot of beards around the place. You can walk down any street and you'll see a half a dozen beards in the first 50 yards. Now, if your Mm. your phobia wasn't under control, it could be very difficult to go to the shop.
4: It certainly can, PJ. And again, I can empathise because there was a time in my life when actually I suffered from agoraphobia because I was going through a particular trauma. I've written about it in my book. And that very event of needing to leave my home had me completely irrational and i mean sweating irrational thoughts i i was nauseous i was terrified of making eye contact with somebody so it can impinge upon our lives in the most horrific ways and in fact i was talking to a client the other day who hadn't left his home in seven years so the impact is massive and there is help out there. And I think that's the most important thing that if you do have a phobia, there are many ways to help it. There are ways to cure it. And, you know, I work from it, of course, only from a clinical hypnotherapy point of view, but I also work at it from a coaching point of view because it takes a little bit of time to process our way through our difficulties. So for me, finding the root cause through hypnosis is very important. We can actually go back to the very first origins of it Plus, we can give our brain better suggestions because actually we're getting a suggestion from our brain that this is a threat. This is a very real threat to your existence and your survival. So while under hypnosis, we're very open to suggestion. So we would, of course, install better suggestions, more positive suggestions.
7: Because I imagine some phobias? Like I'm I'm highly unlikely to come across a snake in in Ireland, Mm. so my phobia never really bothers me. But take someone who, for example is is afraid of dogs i think they i think they have a name for it cynophobia is afraid of That's dogs right. you're going to meet a dog on every street corner
4: absolutely and so you know there are very there are various ways of going about that because Basically, we have a logical understanding that potentially I'm quite safe because we can tell ourselves only one in 99 million dogs is going to bite me or whatever it is. But of course, emotion defeats logic. And this is the problem. We are driven from an emotive standpoint. So first of all, it is a question of actually understanding the phobia, maybe understanding where you acquired it. And finding techniques and tools to control our response to that. So that might be some breath work. It might be exposure therapy slowly under really safely controlled um, conditions. Mm. And it also, from my perspective, we need to address the underlying um, cause. And often these things happen from the body of a child. So when somebody, should we say, for instance, has this fear of dogs, they're, understanding and their 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 belief about it is i am small i'm not capable of defending myself this is all unconscious belief and therefore i'm not able to overcome this fear i'm not able to protect myself so a lot of the work we do is actually metaphorically and emotionally instilling into the unconscious mind that i am a grown-up now i'm six foot tall i am i can run away i can protect myself 99.9 percent of situations are safe so that we would program in through an audio hypnosis audio after doing the hypnosis work because we know it takes actually fully to embed or change a human behavior. It takes six months to fully do it. But within about four to five weeks, we can have somebody really, really, really um, improving. Now I worked with a person who had a fear of driving any more than one kilometer away from home. And it was debilitating for this person because their job depended on it. And so We sort of had a program through the coaching and the hypnosis of slowly increasing the distance, slowly uh, changing the narrative till this person was able to actually go to five kilometres and so on and so on. So it's a process of change and it's actually compassion is very important with this. PJ as well because it isn't funny for the person with the
10: phobia
7: No, no it's funny, my, my, my wife has a, a fear of heights and a couple of years ago she was forced to confront it, well she don't we're on holidays and the situation presented itself where she had to confront it, now to be fair to her, she did and she really did, but I, I never forget the fear in her the first time she had mm. to do it uh, it was actual visceral fear you could see it in her eyes the fear But Mm. to be fair to her, she got got through it. I was very proud of her when she did. Rachel, thank you very much. That's Rachel Gatto, clinical hypnotherapist with regard to phobias. I'd like to hear your unusual one. As I say, mine is snakes. I'm not likely to meet a snake. But a couple of months ago, I was talking in a group of friends, and I love sunflowers. I just love them. Um, from the minute they come out, I want them around the garden, I want them in pots i 'm trying to grow them and without much success. I love sunflowers, and I happened to mention this in company, and a, a rather large man who was in company with me began to sort of pick at himself, and I said, you 're all right." he said, i'm terrified of them effing things." he said i absolutely terrified." of sunflowers. So they're there, they're everywhere. Some really weird ones like needles is echymophobia, uh, Flying, very common. Blood, very common. Horses, equinophobia. Clowns, amazing the number of people who are afraid of clowns and you'd never know. Ornithophobia, now that'd be a tough one, that's birds. Cats, What's the most unusual one? And have you ever had to confront a phobia? And how did it go for you? 0818969696. Oh, Can we
10: just talk?
7: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
6: Text or WhatsApp now 0833969696.
7: On Courts 96 FM. Yeah, Susan says her phobia is cats, and then I love cats. I knew someone who used to go through the tunnel for years and one day got a fear of it. I wouldn't, and only recently started going through it again two or three years later. Bagpipes is another person's phobia. Now, bagpipes are sort of... <laughs> it's strange, but this is an actual fear. An actual fear. Someone who gets nauseous if they hear bagpipes. Big spiders and drunk men... Well, the big spiders? Yeah, drunk men. (laughs) Never heard of that one before. (sighs) Spiders. Every night I have to shake out the blankets and the pillows and check all around the bed. I'd be awake for ages checking my pillow with the light on my phone. On many a night I woke screaming. I can see a huge orange and black tarantula on my chest. It's obviously not real. I'm awake. I can see it. I'll run to turn the light on and then keep shaking the blanket looking for it and it's gone. Yeah, that that you could laugh at that, but that, that it scared scared the life out of you. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. As there's a, I wonder, is it a fear of throwing something out that would encourage you to store stuff, sort of, you know, irrationally store and hoard? There was a, a sad case came up there in Dublin in the last couple of days, where a pensioner. Uh, spent 14 hours on the floor of his house. He got trapped. He was hoarding so much. Now, the Dublin Fire Brigade rescued him, and they said that he had been hoarding to a point of disorder. They put a photo on their Twitter, it was showing all these mounds and mounds. If you look up the Dublin Fire Brigade on Twitter, you'll see pictures. It was an awful. I mean, the man had clearly not thrown anything out for years and years and years. Uh, They they say hoarding is a fire hazard and a health issue, but it actually is a disorder and you need to start talking to your GP or your family about it. Leslie Schumacher is at TU Dublin and specialises in this um, thing. Leslie, you'd be inclined to laugh, but you shouldn't because it's a very tragic situation. Good morning.
15: Good morning. Thank you for having me. Unfortunately, it's a very sad situation. And this gentleman is one of many, unfortunately. There was a really famous case about 100 years ago in America. um, And it was a mansion. It was a giant mansion in New York City. It was a millionaire. And I believe his brother lived with him as well, if I remember correctly. And I think one of them had died. and They hadn't even realized it. Um, And the house just had so much stuff. You know, it took them weeks Um, to get everything out of the house. So hoarding's been around for quite a while now. And How you phrased it, the fear of throwing stuff out, actually is what hoarding is about. And kind of like phobias, it's not a phobia. It's different, but both of them have anxiety attached to it. You know, they're afraid of throwing things away because they might be throwing away something valuable or they Mm. might be throwing something away that will have another use later on. Um, and, And sometimes the logic makes sense to others but other times you know when you're listening to the hoarder's logic you're kind of thinking pardon what I I I think
7: there's a bit of it in 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 a lot of us Leslie I, I for example when we're cleaning out the attic or anything like that or the shed we'll go through stuff and I have a little box in the corner of stuff I haven't used for ages but might use again now that's 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 okay that's just me but this is where the whole house gets full
15: and those, again, though, it does happen. These are extreme situations. And I think, you know, for me, I would be similar. I have to say, I used the pandemic to do a lot of getting rid of stuff and off to the charity shop. But, um, you know, people hold on to things because it could be, you know, you may use it. Um, I, I confess, I have a box of computer wires and I'm an absolute Luddite. I have no idea why I hold on to them, but I keep going, maybe I'll find a use for this later. Um, sentimental reasons but again for hoarders i mean there have been extreme cases where people are holding on to their garbage and i'm talking food waste sometimes even feces and urine and again these that's really not the norm it's quite exceptional so in these homes not only is it a fire hazard but it's a health and safety hazard in terms of hygiene so there can be absolute filth attached to everything But the way that their minds see it, they don't see that. Um, And and it's just, it's very, very sad. And it's distressing, though, um, for the family members and for the friends. And, you know, in America, they've made a number of shows about hoarders. um, And and it's just so sad because there is um, a theory that there'd be a lot of grief attached to um, the hoarder's perceptions of things. Um, So it might be trauma that causes it. It could be a grief episode. We're not terribly sure. There could even be a brain or a genetic link as well.
7: Mm. I note that the CEO of Alone, uh, Mr Moynihan, said that they see it a lot. Does it seem to be common, Leslie, I'm just implying from that, that it's common in people who live alone?
15: I don't know if it's common with people who live alone. Um, there are cases where family members will reside in these houses. And, and, you know, unfortunately, their personal space gets less and less and less as more and more comes into the house. Um, I think when you're living alone, it's easier um, to do that. But hoarding the estimates from America, which I think would apply to here as well, is it three to 6% of the population would have some form of hoarding. And remember, everything happens on a, you know, a scale of one to 10, kind of like a thermometer, you know, so you're going to have people down at the more mild end. And then that particular gentleman, you know, he's more towards the top end of it. In extreme situations, you know, the whole house genuinely can be filled to the rafters i was once told uh at at an event i was teaching at um that a house somewhere here in ireland the back wall fell um off the back of the house but the house didn't come tumbling in because it was filled to the rafters with different things and it can be things like newspapers and books and furniture and toys and things which have no relevance whatsoever and then you know, every once in a while we'll read about in the papers or hear in the news about people who have these massive collections of animals. But the problem is they don't take care of the animals. So the animals end up, you know, getting being very sick, dying. Sometimes yeah. they can be, you know, saved. Other times they can't. And, and the, the hoarder will say that they love the animals and they're taking care of the animals, even though the physical evidence is they're not. So this is about perceptions.
7: Yeah. And one thing that's important, I think, Leslie, is if you know someone who's a hoarder, the simple thing about arriving with a load of black bags and a skip and starting to dump everything, you'll upset them more than you know.
15: Absolutely. I'm so glad you raised that because if you go online... And you Google hoarding or, you know, removal of hoarding, you'll find lots of companies here in Ireland. And people have done this. You know, the hoarder might be out at the doctor or they might be doing their shopping and everybody runs in with bags and takes everything they can. And for that person, this is an intrusion. They have not given their permission. And so as a therapist, and I've worked with hoarders in the past, the key thing is you work on building trust. And then slowly, and I mean slowly, I I remember a particular individual I worked with years ago, it was, could you just take one thing out of your coat pocket? Um, Because hoarders will go and take things out of bins and skips and things like that and bring it home. And it just started with one thing in the bin in my office. And eventually, you know, it was bin bags at the home, but that took time. And Mm -hmm. trust is just so, so key. And continual... Um, asking for consent. That's just absolutely vital. Mm.
7: Turning up on a Saturday morning with a, a, a half a dozen well meaning friends and relatives and going, right, John, we're cleaning out this rubbish now. That is not the right way to do it.
15: Absolutely not. The distress that that's going to cause. In some cases, the hoarders forbid anybody from ever coming back again. You know, they cut themselves off from family members. Um, And it's just, it's a tricky disorder. We know that cognitive behavioral therapy and a new form of CBT, it's called acceptance and commitment therapy, we call it ACT, they are both evidence-based. I mean, research says these work. They're great options for treatment. The other thing is medication in some cases can be a nice aspect to bring into um, this treatment mix. But frequently working with hoarders you're working with other agencies as well because of the fact that there's health and safety issues so for example if a public health nurse is showing up at the home of a hoarder you know she's going to need to have an extra pair of shoes and the boot of the car probably an extra set of clothes because to go in there Unfortunately, you know, to say dress a wound, for example, she isn't very sure what she's going to be seeing in there. On oh. the fact things could be stacked high, you know, different considerations like that.
7: Okay. All right. Thank you for your time. Leslie Schumacher from Technological University, Dublin. She lectures in psychology 0818969696. 96 96. Have you ever come across anybody who hoards? Or if you hoard yourself or you would like to talk about it, if you know somebody that that dealt with it. I'd be interested to find out. 96, 96, 96. <clears throat> On the cost of living. Very early on this morning, we're talking about the plans for the cost of living March in Cork on 17th of September, the one then in Dublin on the 24th. And I made the point myself that I hope there's a big turnout, big numbers. I can remember, I'm old enough to remember the tax marches back in the day. Uh, Huge numbers always look very impressive and they deliver a very strong message. But I'm kind of wondering, would, will it achieve anything? Would be my throwaway comment on it. PJ, you said if twenty or thirty thousand turn up, it's not going to matter. With that bloody attitude, we get nowhere more out in the streets. The better with that comment, I take it you're not going. I said I can't actually go. I would go, I would go because I feel very strongly about where we are. Um, but I'm, I'm, we're, we're at a point where I, I, don't, I just don't know. I do not know. I do not know where we are going with this cost of living over on the proc they're accusing me of trying to defend Sinn Féin by quoting Liz Truss, no I'm not actually I was making the point that population size, accounting for population size they're spending an awful lot more money in the UK and accounting for population size they'll spend an awful lot more money in Germany accounting for population size we're spending very little, it's a lot of money but it's still very little that's kind of what I was saying uh, I think the proc, the proc think I'm a shinner you see I've said this before and I'll say it again I wouldn't be a member of any political party that was stupid enough to have me That that's the truth uh, on phobias someone sent this in thinking I wouldn't be able to read it where's it gone, where's it gone this is a phobia with a particularly strange name. It is Hippopotamus Monstrous We'll try it again. Hippopotamus Monstrous phobia. That's the fear of big words.
5: Genuinely. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your
6: guide to nightlife on
5: Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Pitch Circus and Street Arts Festival kicks off this weekend with the gravity-defying Tea Time Company and their show, A Matter of Time. It's presented by Circus Factory Cork and The Everyman with more information at The Everyman's website. Access all areas. Just announced this week for the Cork Jazz Festival, Jenny Green Deck Pier, and King Kong Company all come to Cork Opera House for shows taking place on October 28th to 30th with tickets on sale now from CorkOperHouse.ie Access All Areas You can contact us here at Access All Areas if you have a show, play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events or gigs by emailing us at AAA at 96FM.ie Access all areas. With Cork Culture Night, Cork City.
6: Enjoy free events in over 100 venues on Friday, September 23rd. See culturenightcork.ie. On Cork's
7: 96 FM. Now, one of the most popular shows on RT was back uh, last night with a star studded lineup this time. Uh, it's a celebrity ultimate hell week. The professionals. This is the special forces thing where over a period of six or seven days they take 20 people and they whittle them down with all sorts of tests to see who would make it to special forces. Uh, The sports people, athletes, influencers, you name it, are in there. There's musicians too, lead lead singer of the Swing Cats, Luke Thomas. I I take it it's all over and done with now, so we're not allowed to know how well you did, but how how did it go (laughs) for your first night?
16: Good morning. Oh, my God. Good morning, uh, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Um, I'm still traumatized by it now. And it was filmed a few months ago. Um, and, and you know, it was a secret location down in Cork, as, as people know at this stage. And we're sworn to secrecy. Uh, but um, you know, you, you have people kind of guessing and betting and backing on, on who they think might kind of. Oh, I like the look of this fella, I like the look of this fella. I tell you, after the first episode, I don't think anyone would be backing me. I was shell shocked, I was absolutely shell shocked doing it. You know, what, they, what they took us out of,
7: to get involved.
16: <laughs> I don't know, I always liked the idea of the show and um. I suppose I'd be on a couple of these lists for for some of these shows, and um, you, you know, our team might bring me the odd time to do something. Um, and it was a last minute thing for me, PJ. I I got the call on Friday, and they were to start filming on Sunday, so you can imagine I was like, "Yeah, this sounds good. Yeah, how many months training will it get there?" Jesus, and I said, "Well, we need to down on Sunday. Someone's pulled out." Holy God! So I got the call, and I didn't have time to think. You know, I wouldn't be the strongest swimmer. Um, I'm not. A, I'm not great with heights. I hadn't trained in months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just said, ah, to hell with it. I'll, I'll give it a go, you know. And at the end of the day, it's it's for a good cause as well. You know, it's to highlight money as well for for chosen charity. So, anything like that is a good game for a laugh. But um, you know, you're in with some serious characters uh, as as you, you kind of mentioned there. Ex ex Olympians and boxers and, and and rugby players. You know, it's it's crazy and yeah. a few showbiz people. You know?
7: Mind you, I've <laughs> had I've had Ray on with me from it a couple of times, yeah. Yeah, and he, and and he always says, you know, I don't care who you are, I'll break you.
16: Yeah. Yeah, well, that's it. And the difference, you, you, you've you obviously met right and the difference, you know, he's he's the main man and he's stern and he's looking at you and, by God, you feel it, you know, the intimidation. He's coming off the helicopter and you're blowing backwards. You're in your underpants. You can't be more exposed, you know. <laughs> like, talk about people. And, you know, <laughs> you're in your underwear and you're standing there dripping wet Frozen and he's, he's coming over. And he he gave me his he gave me my number five right, and I had a nervous smile on my face. I don't know why. And of course, get down and do press ups. I didn't know where I was. I was bamboozled from the off, PJ. And I like yeah, and I had a, a look on my he's face. He's such a lovely guy. He's such a lovely fella. When and we I, had yeah, we had
7: I've him on the show, was, you know, before. And yeah. I said, and he just said that he says I don't care who you are, I can break you.
16: I can break you yeah like the Russian in Rocky 4 or something I'm going to break him yeah no but with a culture accent oh my god it was it was crazy you know and he looked me in the eye and, and then as soon as the show finished you know with the reunion there a couple of days ago and we watched the first episode and he said I was trying to get a song out of you I'm a big crooning fan I said what he says, I'm a big crooner fan. And, and I say, I just put it to him like this. So here's the excuse. He's going to come down to me in, in the Metropole in Cork. I'm, I'm playing there at the, the Cork Jazz Festival headline on one of the nights. Brilliant. So if anyone's around, you're going to see him on stage. And we're going to do a Frank and Sammy Davis Jr. number. Would you're you believe that? You're kidding me! I'm I'm, I'm I'm deadly serious. He's going to kill me for that. But he said that. So that's, that's in October. Anyway, so... <laughs> It's mad. It's just how we can switch it like that. It's just unbelievable. <laughs> I've never been intimidated, you know, since the scouts. You know, it's it's different. It's just <laughs> we're not allowed you know. to say
7: anyone who won. We're not allowed to mention anyone. No, Jesus. No, but there's no, a lot. No. There's a lot to come. Give us an idea what's to come, Luke.
16: Well, well, look. Um, you know, the first day, anyone who's seen it, and anyone who didn't see it, it's on the player. But the first day, they they threw us out of the rubber dinghy into the water, and the tide had just turned. And so the current was coming the opposite way. So if if you're anyway a weaker swimmer like I was, I was gassed after 15 seconds and I had to be pulled ashore. So my life flashed before me and they did that in slow motion, by the way. And so it it was great to see that in the open a few minutes. But there's helicopter jumps, there's abseiling, there's... There's running through muck at night. Um, there's running through pipes. There's explosions. And and I, I suppose the biggest thing, PJ, is is the mind games. Like, I mean, when you're told you have 10 minutes to get to bed and the toilet's four minutes away, you know, do you go to the toilet? Do you not? You know, little things like that play in your mind. You say, what do I do here? I know I'm going to need to go to the toilet, you know. And then they're waking you up after an hour's sleep and you're back on the move again. It It's really like it's... People think that, you know, when the cameras switch off, you know, oh, here's your phone back or have a cup of tea and a, you know, a snack bar. No, 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 no. It's serious. I got a, a cold boiled egg and a ham sandwich with no butter. And it's like, is this what the hell is going This That threw me now. You know, I like me food, you know. Well, we had Peter
7: Stringer <laughs> on last time. And Peter Stringer, like he's met fellas 10 times his size and yeah, he said geez. none of them terrified him like this did you know, oh, listen Luke good yeah, good, yeah. good. luck and might see you at, at the Jazz Festival, that looks interesting Luke's going to have Ray from Ultimate Hell Week on stage with him at the Jazz Festival, that'll be fun uh, will we go to Nula or will we hold on till after the news because she's got a phobia that I sort cert- ah there she is Nula.
17: Yes CJ, good morning oh,
7: Good. What's your phobia?
17: Quite an unusual one, I think. I haven't met anybody else who has the same one like me. Um, I have a fear of circles,
7: circles.
17: round, round, flat circles. Uh, I hate them. Hate them.
7: Which makes it, make it very difficult sick. to read because the letter O is a circle.
17: It. Yeah, now I'm going to be seeing that every time I open a book.
7: <laughs> Would you say yeah, you can't I'm, you can't eat dinner off a circular plate? It's not. It wouldn't be my plate of choice. Let's put it like that. I
17: I would prefer not to. I'd prefer a square plate. Um, I don't like. I, I hate circular mirrors. Or any time I go into someone's house, it's got, got like a circular picture frame or a clock. I oh my god! It's like something is turning in my stomach. Any sort of patterns on cushions or clothes that have circles on them. No. If someone gives me a gift, it's not going to ever come out. It's never going to see the light of day. I'll regift it or put it in a box far away from me
7: So even a thing like a Yankee candle in a round jar no?
17: That, that's okay because it's kind of 3D it's something that's flat if it's oh, flat okay. like I don't mind bubbles or a ball or something like that that's okay because it's kind of 3D if it's something that's two dimensional flat like a pressure, you know when you go into CUH and there's like loads of circles on the wall yeah. that's, all I, that's all I can see how, that's all how, I
7: can... how did you manage during during the pandemic with all them yellow circular stickers on the floor?
17: um if it, if there's something in it it's not so bad like if there's something breaking up the circle, I can kind of ignore it a bit more, but if it's a plain circle with nothing in it, like a portal or something like that or a round window in someone's house oh jeez
7: okay. no that's 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 the strangest one. thanks ever so much for that uh Nuala, 0818 96 oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six that's the strangest one so far.
5: Gold Imro Award winning sports show Right,
6: right, here, right there. The Score on Cork's 96FM Join me,
1: Trevor Welch, Sunday's Front 2 For the best music mix and all the latest sport As we focus on another big weekend of local Gaelic games action And we bring you reaction to Cork City's clash in Waterford And co Ramblers versus Galway United Right, here, right there. Join Trevor Welch for The Score
7: This Sunday from 2pm
5: On Cork's 96FM <laughs> The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we
6: just talk? Call 0818 96, 96, 96.
5: Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96.
6: Email opinion at 96fm.ie.
5: The Opinion Line with PJ
7: Coogan
6: on Cork's 96 FM.
7: Hello, showers coming down in the last 24, 36 hours. Biblical flipping things. I was trying to put the bins out last night. Putting my bins out. And the rain. Oh my God, it was something something wicked altogether. 0818 96 96 96 is the number. The text to WhatsApp is 083 396 96 96. And the email is opinion at 96 at M dot I E. As I say to you, uh, the odd time now, if you listen to us out of hours, the email is the best way to get us. If you listen to any of our podcasts, we put up about 30 podcasts a week from the show, including the full show every day. If you listen to those Email the best way to get us opinion at 96 mie or indeed our overnight repeat which is kind of a short version of the show that way too opinion at 96fm.ie and we will get back to you we're fairly good at that If you uh, yeah, remind me I'll do that in a minute I'm packed up with stuff to do I just got a present in the post today um, of a book it's a new book um, and only one person would do what they've done with wrapping up this book. And when I opened it up, I thought it could only have been this particular person. Um, I'll tell you more about that as we get closer. But here, imagine this imagine opening up your Twitter or your video and seeing this. You're a young, keen golfer, a keen young golfer, and pretty good at it too. And here's what you see.
12: Hi everyone, Leona McGuire here. Really looking forward to teaming up in the KPMG Women's Irish Open at the end of September. Great to announce that KPMG Irish Kids Golf Tour has three spots for three young amateurs to play in the Pro-Am and delighted to announce that the three winners of that competition are Hayley Martinez from Douglas Golf Club, Ella Cantwell from Esker Hills Golf Club and Julia Falvey-Ryan from Foda Island Golf Club. Hopefully I'll see you all there.
7: Julia Falvey-Ryan, what a moment. Good morning. Morning, PJ. Tell me about that. Did you find out, did you know before Leona announced it on the video?
18: I had a fair idea. It was um, it was going to be me, but I was absolutely thrilled yesterday when I came home from school, uh, when I found out that I was picked.
7: Like you're in the Ursuline secondary school. What age are you?
18: Um, I'm 13, um, but we'll be for 14 in March.
7: And how long are you playing golf?
18: Um, I'm playing with golf around two years, but properly around a year.
7: Right. Where do you play?
18: I play From... down in Fota Island Golf Club. Yeah.
7: yeah. And, and you'll be playing now in the Pro-Am section of the Women's Irish Open?
18: Yeah. Wow. wow. Yeah, it's just...
7: It's amazing.
18: Yeah, it's amazing.
7: Yeah. What What got you into golf?
18: Um, I was just going up to the range of my uncle... Um, and my brother um, just some afternoon and my brother was hitting away the balls because he used to play a bit of golf when he was younger mm. um, but he doesn't play anymore, he's soccer mad. Um, but I just, I had to go with the club and my uncle realized that I could really hit the ball. And um, then from then on, I was kind of going up to the range at my brother's clubs every so often, but then I got more into it and my mom and dad got me clubs then. And I loved them because they were all pink. And uh, then after a couple of months, my mom and dad signed me up to the golf academy in Fosia. um And they do lessons every Monday and Tuesday night. And then I just, I started going to uh, Wayne O'Callaghan Ocean Cork Golf Centre. Oh, then yeah, when yeah. I started to get more into it and it just kept on escalating.
7: Yeah. And, and you, like you realised I can actually do this.
18: Yeah, I like I still, I still think the other girls are way better than me. Like Hayley and Ella that got picked as well. Hayley's from Douglas and the Cork girls be doing good now up in the Poam, and Ella's from Esker Hills up in Offaly. They're fantastic golfers and they have way more experience than me. But I, I definitely know that if I just train more and more, and I train and train that. It will pay off
7: fabulous I'll, t- I'll talk to your dad in just a second but i know you've probably been watching as i have i mean just how brilliant is leona mcguire like
18: yeah she's a brilliant golfer and a brilliant woman to look up to for um girls my age and things yeah
7: stephen
19: morning T.J. you're very proud All very proud it has to be it's it's amazing and when we saw the video yesterday, sure, Leona is is one of our top athletes in the country at the moment. And for her to come on and mention Julia in the video was phenomenal.
7: But did you? I mean, she said she had an idea that her name might come out, but did you know? You
19: didn't really know until she said it, no? We didn't. Yeah, we didn't. Like, I mean, there's. I suppose it's fantastic that KPMG PMG have kind of, I suppose, sponsored the the Irish kids' golf tour. So Julia was playing in a competition with a lot of girls, and there was because a boys' section as well. Throughout the summer and they played in different courses and then just before the last one um in the the end of august they said that they were going to announce that three of the girls from the competition were going to be playing in the program so you know there's only a handful of girls there's i think there's about seven or eight in total between the under 13s and and maybe the the under 10s so it was going to be three of them so Mm. there was a hope um but for her to be picked was just fantastic. really, really good. Like you know, it's do, you, do, do you play
7: yourself at all, Stephen?
19: Uh, I try, PJ. <laughs> she beats me every time. To be honest, like like, it's well, a <laughs> disaster.
7: Isn't it amazing though to see your youngster develop a talent like that? You are going, wow, she can really
19: play. And it's the dedication as well. You know, uh, I mean, so she, she said, like, she picked it up two years ago. I mean, she like, what she didn't say herself was that she. She had a, a bad back injury three years ago. So she, she broke two bones in her spine. And before that, she used to play a bit of tennis. And when she went back to tennis, she found it was a bit fast. So we were looking for other stuff for her to do. And then when she kind of picked up the love for the golf, we said, hold on, we might, you know, get her more into this. And in fairness, her uncle Padraig kind of really gave her support on it. And then we we joined her to Foda and she she just took to it straight away. Fantastic. She absolutely loved it. It's and fantastic. this year, like she she's well known down in the golf club below because I'd say she spent her whole summer down there. Nearly every day we drop her off in the morning and she'd stay out in the the academy all day of practice. Brilliant. which is you know, you know, pays off hard work pays off in the end. You know,
7: absolutely. Julia, I know that with the pro am you get picked to play with with, with a pro. I, I suppose the dream is Leona, is it?
18: Yeah, it'd be great to play with Leona, but any any pro would be fantastic because I've never really seen women at her level play, so it'd be just fantastic to play with any of them.
7: OK, congratulations. It's later this month. It's on the Women's Irish Open and the pro-am uh, before it. Julia Falvey-Ryan from Cork will be playing that pro-am. 13 years of age, going on 14, and uh, joined also by her dad, Stephen. That's brilliant. That's so good. That's so good to see. Oh eight one eight ninety six ninety six ninety six. I go I go for I will I go to line 4 uh, because it's a long time since I spoke to this gentleman and he always has very interesting thoughts on the economic situation in the country and uh, he he rang this morning offering his tuppence worth and it's always good to take it Ed Harper how are things out in Cape Clear my friend good morning Hi.
14: Um, windy, but I hope it's not too windy for you. If you, if you can hear the wind, I'm sorry. Well, you're um, good
7: there. You're good. You're good. I'm
14: sitting outside in the sunshine with my goats still eating inside in the milk and parlour. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there were just one or two points, really, and I mean, I could give you a, a personal light on it, too, but from the point of view of farmers, small farmers, I, I hate to add, because, I mean, rich, big, rich farmers, you know, it may be a different story. I don't know. But, I mean, certainly the small farmers, and the small livestock farmers. Uh, I mean, this this crisis is a killer, because to give you an instance. I mean, the price of barley and oats, okay, which obviously we we buy to feed to the animals. I mean, it has been bouncing for years between about eight euros and ten euros, and the last I bought was twelve thirty something, okay. That you know, and that that is an essential I have to buy, mm. um, you know, and. I mean, fortunately, God isn't charging for the the grass and the the gorse and the heather, but, um, you know, and the electricity, I I dread to think what that's going to be, and, like, we we have a a wood-burning stove that makes our hot water, and it heats. Uh, We have sort of partial central heating, but it dries the washing, and, you know, it does everything, basically, and the wood for that, I mean, um, the the crater wood was costing us initially when we started... Somewhere around uh, it's a double crate. news was is around three hundred and ten. The last one was three hundred and fifty-seven.
10: Yeah.
14: Uh, so you you get an idea what it's like now. Um, you know I'm at the end of the summer and I've had a, a good summer for selling ice cream and and bur- burgers and sausages and things to people. Um, but, but we depend entirely on tourist trade. So what I have in my hand now is what I have to keep me going till next spring. plus yeah and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a, an ancient, so I've actually got a British state pension with a top-up from, from the Irish state and a very small teacher's pension for the, the years I did before I became a goat farmer. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's it. That is my income.
15: And, yeah.
14: and just a, a very, a very uh, you know, like, we, we're told, you know, and, and you were saying yourself, you know, everybody's saying it's the Ukraine war, it's the Ukraine war, and the government's saying we can do nothing, we can do nothing. Um, I'm sorry, it's like the man who's bashing his head off the wall saying, God, this, this really hurts, you know, maybe I should consider stopping, you know, because the fact of the matter is, we're sanctioning the Russians, you know, in, in, you know, on behalf of the Americans. The EU is sanctioning the Russians. Mm. And the effect of that is to give the gas market um, to the Americans, to so the fracking gas, shipping it across the Atlantic for us, uh, but not going quite fast enough, which means you know in terms of the climate you know that is madness when it can come through a pipeline and everybody's saying the russians are weaponizing the gas pipeline well i gather they've had a breakdown on the gas pipeline but even if they hadn't we're saying we don't want your gas and now when we're not getting it we say but we need your gas i mean it's
10: Mm -hmm. i'm sorry
14: and i mean what what is happening to in ukraine i mean i think You know, nobody, I don't think in the world, would say that Putin is is a benign uh, individual, nor the system he's running. It's an arched capitalist system, and he is as bad as any of the the other kind of vicious cases in charge of of systems like that. But the fact of the matter is, you know, there is no two ways about it. We are pouring. I mean, I say we. Ireland isn't, thank God. I mean, the government's keen for us to give up our neutrality. So we can pour arms into Ukraine um, when we can't afford houses, health service, anything else. But unfortunately, not yet. And if, if we set our fingers out and object, we won't be buying American jet fighters to keep the mermaids at yeah. But, I mean, we, we have a situation in Ukraine that you know, massive amounts of arms are pouring in from the West in a general sense. And the Ukrainians are being told, defend your land with this. Now, that's some of the best grain land in Europe.
7: That's the point. It's the and bread it, box. It's the bread yes, box, and there's no grain, and, it, and there's no bread, and there's no flour, and we no, yeah.
14: and it's it, it being being polluted with, with the you know, the, the results of all the, the military... Yeah. Hard. But
7: then if they can't defend and, themselves, Ed, if they can't defend themselves, well, Russia will yes, pummel but, them into the ground anyway, but, so... The,
14: but the mad thing is, you know, the terms for the peace were agreed years before the war started. The Minsk agreement, which the, the, the Russians, the Germans, the French, and the Ukrainians all signed, yes. was the basis for peace so that the war never needed to break out. Yes. And it did. And it did. I've read a few yes.
7: articles about that, actually, Ed. You're not yes. far wrong there at all. No, you're not. And, I
14: mean, you know, I mean, the way that Sabina Higgins was treated when she suggested we should make peace, you know, I mean, it was, it was a disgrace apart from the fact that... You
7: know, you, the you course, agree wasn't. with her? That, that I mean, I, I'm kind of thinking as a man of the world, uh, and you've a few more years in this world than I have, Ed, maybe you'd agree with me here. Nothing will be sorted without no. sitting down like adults.
14: Yes, exactly. And there are only two ends to this war. And, they, you know, neither of them are desirable. It should never have started. But given that it has, either peace will have to be made on some terms and the question is what terms, but we'll never get that sorted till people sit down and talk or it'll end in nuclear war and obliteration of, you know,
7: civilised I, I think the first option no matter how unpleasant it might be is far more attractive than the second Exactly, for all of us all so, right. I mean,
14: for God's sake, and the, the loss of life of Ukrainians and Russians, and, but if I was looking to make money and had no morality I'd be buying shares in armed companies yeah, and, you know, it, it is sickening. And in fossil fuel companies, the amount of fossil fuel being burned, all the effort we're making to cut back on emissions for climate are going out the window, literally, yeah. or out the in Ukraine. It, it's horrific. I mean, we're destroying our world in Ukraine.
7: I know, I know. Ed, I'm going to leave it there because the line is starting to fade. I could listen to you. All day, go off and farm your goats in the beautiful piece of uh, Cape Clear. Uh, thank you very much, Ed Harper. 0818 96, 96, 96. A man who has never failed on this program to make extraordinary sense.
5: Here only the freshest hits of twenty twenty two. Or train harder while we pump out the bangers. Let's The Hitmix and the Fitmix are streaming live right now on the
7: Cork's 96FM app. Download it today. Download
5: it today. Listen on your smart speaker or go to 96FM.ie.
7: Back to phobias. Dan. Hello. How are you? Double-decker buses?
1: Yes. Yes, double-decker buses. Um, I, I was on one where, uh, as we were driving along, the, the window was smashed from a low-hanging branch and went over me. And after that, for a couple of years, I just couldn't go on one.
10: Right.
7: Okay. And you'd you'd let the last bus home pass you, like?
1: Oh yeah, I'd um, from 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 my hometown. That a majority of majority of buses were single deckers, so I was not really having any problem. But then occasionally they'd have a double decker on there, and I was just nope. I'm walking. I'd rather get soaked. Wow. And were you hurt by the branch, or just getting off awful of price? Uh, just an awful fright. I mean, I had, like, glass all over me and, I mean, I was reading a magazine at the time and luckily I looked up at the right time. Wow.
7: Cranky, that must be scary, all right.
1: Yeah, just I've
7: a often, bit. Yeah, I've often been sitting on a double-decker bus and you would get a slap of a branch as you're going past. It it happens, all right.
1: Yeah. You got over it, though, did
7: you?
1: I did, yeah. Just a, a couple of years later, I just was, I you know, gathered myself together and saying, all right, I need to do this. And then I did it. All right, good and uh, have a look back.
7: Yeah. And did you get a job as a bus driver there, Ted?
1: I did, yes. <laughs> Ten years <laughs> later, after the incident, I actually became a bus driver, and I've been doing that for the past eight years now <laughs> and and love it and absolutely love it. But when I'm driving along, and if I hit a branch, any branch that might be low hanging, the fear comes back. <laughs> you know, you're going, oh, no, not again.
7: Listen, great call. Thank you. Dan is in Ring of Skiddy, a fear of double-decker buses because he was sitting upstairs on one and smack. You can imagine that would scare you. Can I just mention something before I move along? Uh, I went to see this the other night for opening night and I have the programme in front of me and I meant to mention it yesterday but didn't get a chance. The Steward of Christendom is a play by Sebastian Barry which is running at the Everyman this week it's presented by the Gate theater Company and it's a very famous play and the lead in it is played by Owen Rowe on this visit to Cork but it is magnificent it's it's a play about the War of Independence and the various events around the War of Independence and all of that but and it's it's quite I say this it's it's difficult to follow you need to be very focused to follow this play. But the performance on stage of Owen Rowe, you will hold your breath at how brilliant he is. It's well worth it. It's on at the Everyman until Saturday. The steward of Christendom um, starring Owen Rowe. And another, a, a bigger cast than that, but he is just astonishing. You'll hold your breath at his brilliance. It's phenomenal. 0818969696 There's a launch... Uh, today, is it there tomorrow Tomorrow uh, at the St Peter's Centre there at North Main Street of the Irish Sepsis Foundation now I did not know there was not such a thing or there wasn't, if you like a body representing people uh, who have suffered with or tried to deal with sepsis and uh, one of the founding members of this and a member of the board is Barrister Dyrin O'Mahony Dyrin, good morning
20: Good morning PJ, how are
7: you? Good, good to speak with you. Now you've come across sepsis in in a lot of your um, work because you deal with medical cases and stuff like that. I wasn't aware there was no actual foundation for sepsis and the extent of sepsis and how awful it can be.
20: Absolutely. I suppose... As the years rolled on, um, I started to notice themes recurring in my own legal work, and one of those was sepsis. Um, You know, I I was meeting people whose loved ones had died from sepsis and also people who had developed it and survived with with very serious consequences. Um, And I suppose it just occurred to me that for something so widespread and so prevalent, um, responsible for one in five deaths and something that's a major economic and social burden in this country, I was amazed that there was no group, organisation, support or charity for sepsis. And so with that in mind, I just decided I'd take it upon myself to kick something off. And uh, I got in touch with our patron, Stephen Carr, about a year ago now, actually. And the idea was born and we started putting things in train.
7: What's the aim behind the foundation? Is it to raise awareness of sepsis and how dangerous it can be?
20: Absolutely. I suppose um, that's really it. It's raising awareness because we're not trying to do anything overly ambitious. We're not looking for a cure. There already is a cure for sepsis. Um, We're just looking to raise awareness um, this is a time critical medical emergency. And I suppose I was seeing the consequences of delayed diagnosis of sepsis. So what we want to do uh, as a foundation is raise awareness amongst members of the public, GPs, um, hospitals, just having everybody on the alert and asking the question, could this be sepsis? Because time is absolutely critical mm. and um that's uh, that's really it. We're, we're all about promotion of awareness. Uh, as I said, uh, most people don't really understand what sepsis is. and The definitions keep changing and the idea of sepsis is confusing for people to understand. Um, everybody identifies with, for example, cancer. Everybody knows somebody who's had it or who's died from it and they can identify with it sepsis. They probably do as well, but they might necessarily... Um, They might not have the label sepsis on it, you know, and that's that's what we're about. Um, Also, I suppose, as a foundation, we're just giving people, bereaved people and people who've had sepsis and come through it and are living with the consequences of it. We're giving them a place where they will feel supported and we're giving them, I suppose, a listening ear and support and just really a sense of community that hasn't been there up until now.
7: Yeah, I have a a dear friend who, who suffered sepsis. You you may have come across him, uh, Kieran Kramer, the musician.
20: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, and, he's going to be at our launch tomorrow. And, and, and
7: Kieran would tell you a few hours either way. Another few hours, he wouldn't be here. A few hours earlier, and he might not be in the chair.
20: I know it's frightening, and his story is just t- totally profound. And as I said, he's actually going to be there tomorrow, P.G., and he's going to be speaking. So it's. It'll be very worthwhile listening to his story because, as I said, it's 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 very very profound and um, very frightening, and he's really really an inspiration to all of us.
10: Yeah,
7: yeah, yeah. Good call of mine. At the launch tomorrow, the Irish Sepsis Foundation, Darren O'Mahony, barrister and a board a board member of the foundation. Uh, do we have uh, Elaine?
21: Yes. Good morning.
7: Hi, Elaine. Um, so you've had sepsis and recovered. Uh, Tell me how that. Tell me that story.
21: Uh, I have indeed. I was one of the lucky ones, Um, as Darren mentioned. There, sepsis was something I had never heard of previous to contracting it. In September 2016, I had a kidney infection, which I went to my GP about and got antibiotics. Um, And the first set of antibiotics didn't clear it, so they gave me a second. Um, which I finished on a Saturday and thought I was fine, felt tired but thought it was okay on the Tuesday morning I took my, child, my youngest child to school and came home um, and felt really tired so I went back to bed and just by accident my husband came home, he's self-employed he'd forgotten something um, and about 12 o'clock he walked into our bedroom to discover I was having a seizure in the bed um, at which time he lifted me into the car and uh, Actually, at the time, it was um, very much in the media that I'm living in Limerick. that uh, the regional hospital had very bad weights, so he drove to our GP, who sent us to the Galway Clinic. Um, And on arrival there, I I was told if I'd arrived an hour or two later, that I wouldn't be with us today. Yeah. Uh, So I spent, uh, my whole system had started to shut down at this stage. I... um, they couldn't find a vein. My blood pressure was m- almost non-existent.
10: Were well, you um,
7: aware to... of the situation? The yeah.
21: um, I have... <laughs> it's actually uh, something that I've relived numerous times, but I was in and out of consciousness. Um, I was aware of pain. Pain like I've never... <laughs> I couldn't describe it. Everything everything hurt. My eyelids hurt. Um, I got a um, phenomenal care in the Galway Clinic, and I ended up in um, in intensive care for a few days, and then I spent three weeks um, in the hospital. Um, I'm I'm lucky, I suppose. I was 41 at the time, um, so I and I didn't have underlying conditions, so I have I was re- I was he- healthy previously, mm. so I had that um, going for me. Um, as well as the fact that I, thanks thank God, got to the actual hospital mm. on time. Did you make a full recovery, uh, you did? I did, thank God, yes, I did. Uh, but it was and it's something that I'm very, very supportive. and very thankful to Darren for, for launching this foundation, um, because I did feel incredibly isolated afterwards. It. It, t- it took me an awful long time to recover, to recover my confidence. Um, I had flashbacks, bad sleeping simple things I couldn't make a decision about anything I remember standing in Tesco's about a month later um, and I chronic because I couldn't use a coffee brand <laughs> and oh. I just had to leave and go home um, that's from somebody trauma. who had never been like that
7: that's trauma
21: i, I, I yes I was incredibly traumatized oh. um, I was lucky to have a very very supportive family and my GP who sent me for Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, which I found very, very helpful. But even even reliving it now, we're thinking about it again.
7: I can hear the shake in your voice and I appreciate you going into such detail with it.
21: It was. And I I, I think that there there was very little support there at the time and to be able to speak to somebody, perhaps, who had been through it. Um, would have been awfully helpful, actually. On, on, a, on a present note, my first cousin, um, a gentleman from Lina, is currently in the regional in Limerick with sepsis since Friday night,
10: wow,
21: um, from a kidney infection, and uh, we're hopeful he'll make a he'll make a, f- uh, a full recovery.
7: Good,
10: good. Was just to um, ask how he's his, doing.
21: His family have had a, a, a harrowing harrowing
7: couple of days. I bet you imagine it for your own husband and it must have been an awful fright to find to find you like that and then realise just how sick you were.
21: Yes, it was, and um I think he he was very shocked uh, there's now mileage out of he saved my life, so I can't really give out to him that much. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm very lucky to be able to say uh, I have a husband who saved my life. But that gets counteracted by you also, You almost lost me, so
7: I wish you continued uh, good health in your ongoing recovery, Elaine. Thank you for that. Thanks also to O'Mahani. O'Mahony. Um, the launch of the Irish Sepsis Foundation is in Cork tomorrow evening at uh, half past five 0818 96 96 96. we got this in, I'll read this one Fiona before I go and do the song this is a story that's all over the news and all over the newspapers with the last few days and Con wanted to get his Tuppensworth in on it and I don't know where you stand on this particular story um, this is the story of Enoch Burke, uh, the teacher uh, Con says I'm very upset at what's happening to Enoch Burke I'm not getting into the issue of whether he's going to prison for use or not using a pronoun, or whether it's down to contempt of court or whatever. The thing we all know is there are plenty of very serious crimes in this country that are in no way properly investigated or processed because we, inverted commas, don't have the resources. We have loads of resources for this, though. You see pictures of him surrounded by five or six guards as if he was one of the Kinnihans. Clearly, this is because he doesn't use the pronouns the government wants him to use. You don't get this kind of vigour in pursuing and punishing many horrific crimes. When I was growing up, some of the older people would call England a pagan country. We're now the pagan country. A country where you have to act as if things your religion holds dear were undisputed fact. England has at least some modicum of trying to balance the conflicting interests of people who want to be called a pronoun that another person doesn't want to use for religious beliefs. Well, unfortunately, Con, we've gone well past that with Enoch Burke. Enoch Burke is in jail. He's got nothing whatsoever to do with pronouns, uh, whether he wanted to use them or not. Enoch Burke is in jail for breaching court orders. That is why Enoch Burke is in jail and contempt. So, But your point is is welcome, and, and, and it's it's interesting. You, you make one very valid point. He's surrounded by guards as if he was a member of the Kinnahans and other crimes, you don't get quite the response. That's a good point, Now, phobias, fear of horses, fear of the dark, and fear of not making it to the bathroom. Right. Uh, sunshine tomorrow. The wazzies will be in the bars again, so the 18-stone wazzy hunters with a phobia will be outed around with beer mats and newspapers. and Yeah, bagpipes, another one on bagpipes another one on bagpipes (laughs) Um, and on I think Michelle gets the comment of the day which is appropriate enough because uh, it's her birthday so happy birthday Michelle birds Shishi I hate birds hate birds and butterflies Michelle has a butterfly I hate butterflies Shishi all they are is moths with makeup. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
6: Text or WhatsApp now. 83 396
5: 96 96.
7: On Courts 96 FM. Mick in always good to hear from you, Mick. He has a phobia of provisional governments that cling on to power and don't represent the people. Thanks, thanks, Mick. And Bernie has a comment on the Enoch Burke case, which I'll hold on until the end. We also had a very long comment on the, what our correspondent calls the new poor. I'm going to hold that one until tomorrow because it's quite long. and We'll take a bit of a read. 0818 96, 96, 96. Paul O'Conneill from uh, the Irish Independent travel correspondent has been looking at weekend breaks because while we can still afford them, God knows how long more that'll be, getting away for a weekend break, there's an incredible amount of of value out there if you know where to look like 227 for a bottle of beer in a city where's that paul good morning
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah you might wonder if it's an irish city or not i you doubt it. it's It is that is from Budapest in Hungary so if you're sitting down in a cafe or a bar in Budapest in Hungary that is the average of what you can expect to pay now that is according to a survey and it's an annual survey done every year by uh, post office travel money in the UK what they do is they pick out 20 of the most popular city break destinations throughout Europe and they compare the cost of a basket of items that you would typically Spend as a traveller in each. So, just a couple of what they would include is that bottle of beer, um, a two nights in a three star accommodation, an evening meal for two with a bottle of wine, uh, sightseeing, city transport, and so on. And they t- they they totted them all up, and I can tell you, Budapest was fifth best value or fifth cheapest, Eesh. and top of the pile was Athens in
7: Greece. And Lisbon and Portugal was second, which I would have thought that would, I mean, Portugal is traditionally more expensive than Spain,
0: but Madrid comes way down the list. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I going into this blind, I would have thought um, Krakow, other Eastern European cities like Riga would have been higher up. And um, but they are there in the top five, all right. But Athens and Lisbon are are up. The the cost, the overall cost of all the tw- the things I read out to you there in Athens is about two hundred and forty euro. Now that's not including the flights, okay? Mm. And the that you might spend Lisbon two hundred and fifty four. And then, as you as you scroll down, the prices go up. You mentioned Madrid; that it would be the same uh, items would cost you three hundred and fifty forty eight quid in Madrid. So this is it's interesting. One of the one of the trends that they're noting in it is that the price of, of city breaks, and this would be no surprise to you, has gone up since uh, before the pandemic. But also, uh, Western let's call them Western European cities uh, have come out fairly well in it. Um, usually, the Eastern European ones do better value. So. It, that's kind of interesting, mm. and um, Dublin features on the list, mm. uh, but I'm afraid it's not towards the better value end. No, that Amsterdam you. is coming.
7: <laughs> Amsterdam comes through this survey as the most expensive for the shopping basket you gave us: the bottle of beer, the meal for yeah. two, of the hotel. That's six ninety for your two night stay, in, yeah. not including flights. Dublin is five hundred and seven.
0: Yeah, uh, and not including the transport to get there. So that that when they totted everything up, that's what Dublin came out at.
7: To be honest with you, given the number of people who were driving up and driving down from Garth Brooks on the same night, I'd say that's a very conservative estimate at the moment. <laughs> For Dublin.
0: And I'd say, th- well, if you were going this weekend, let me tell you, you'd be lucky to get away with one night for that price. But that's this is obviously a, an exceptional weekend with the gigs that are on, and and the the point is made that um, the, the the pressure for hotel rooms has pushed prices up not just in Dublin but in these other expensive cities this year now there's look there's lots of reasons and I know you've spoken about hotels a lot PJ uh, as to why they have put them up and some are for genuine reasons and others are, are maybe profiteering and all that but we don't have to go into that now but what one, one interesting thing about Dublin because I'm always reluctant about sort of having Dublin trashed is that it was rated the best value when it came to culture and the reason for that is that the best museums in the city yes. and the National Gallery Every. won't cost you a cent to go into Yeah,
7: yeah. there's always that little little kickback with Dublin and Cork would be the same too I mean we, 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 we have a lot of good stuff here that's, that's for free Interesting you should say though about events and, and, and big weekends because my daughter was in Budapest for the Grand Prix the Hungaro Ring she was there for that mm. and she paid 3 euro for a bottle of beer at the track
0: so they didn't exactly <laughs> check the prices up there. No, what's that? Sixty-three cents more expensive than the two twenty-seven. Oh, that's brilliant. That is fantastic because I know that at electric picnic and, and other events like concerts, and I've been to them myself and you queue up and there's certain brands only available and you pay you pay much more than you'd pay at, yeah. at a pub down the road, obviously. So So if somebody yeah,
7: wanted to have a weekend break while you've got a couple of quid before we get completely steamrolled by gas and electric prices over the winter, where would you recommend
0: off that list in all your extensive
7: travel experience?
0: The first thing I would advise you is look at the when question, because if you can take that trip, if you're listening in today and you don't have kids at school and you can go during the the week or midweek or during the school term, you will pay Far less than the unfortunates like myself, looking at October midterm when the whole country might be trying to squeeze a bit of a getaway, be it a station or a city break, into the same you know seven days. So that's that. If you can do that, do it uh midweek, do it off peak and look at Flying not on Fridays and Sundays. Hey. Um, look at re- things like Ryanair's Fairfinder tool if you're not too fussed about where you go. And remember, the Christmas markets will be starting up uh, towards the end of November. So there's nice atmosphere there as well. But a couple of the cities then, if you're thinking about where, we mentioned Athens. There's there's direct flights with Ryanair and Aerolingist Athens, but it is four hours. Lisbon closer. Uh, Budapest, we mentioned, Prague came in uh, in the top 10 cities for overall value. So did Berlin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Berlin, which I love. It gets quite cold November through February, say. But if you can go there, the museums, um, the the different neighborhoods, the the art galleries, the, the bars, it's still a city where it just feels like someone you know dreams up a quirky barn opens it in an affordable premises and it's yeah. hip and it's cool and it's just a sense of possibility there combined with that heritage of 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 you know the cold war era and yeah. historical berlin and and the other two on the top 10 were dubrovnik and surprisingly perhaps, Rome initially.
7: That, that that took my breath away, because Rome, I mean, is there a city with more art, more culture, and more history to wander around, and still you could do those two nights on that shopping list for 202 euro per person, which is fairly handy.
0: Yeah, yeah, not too bad. So there is choice. Um, I've had a few, I've had travel agents send me city break offers for the coming months, and everybody's kind of a little bit touchy and a little bit nervous about what impact that this kind of price shock fear will have on our spending so they are pushing out deals because they know that um, October November when mm. people go out of the peak season that is a good is a time to get people encouraged to go and the other point I'd make is that the summer scare- schedules for the airlines continue through September and October so you still have all of that choice yeah. of the route network yeah. um, up until then you, you mentioned that
7: and and i was talking to Owen Curry a few weeks ago and seeing as I have 30 seconds with you, do you expect that next year that getting away to the sunspots will be considerably dearer or in the wake of the cost of living will Ryanair price, especially Ryanair price their tickets accordingly that people can still afford them?
0: I am um, it'll depend where you go and when you go uh, as always so the peak periods are going to be crunch uh, Michael O'Leary has said several times now that fares are going to go up and and that is largely based on the cost of fuel which is, is, is doesn't look like it's coming down anytime soon. There are a lot of tour operators um, encouraging people to put down low deposits and to think about their summer holiday for next year at this stage to spread the cost out and budget it. But, P.G., I can't see travel costs coming down. No. Like I, I just, I, whatever about whether they remain static or just creep up a little bit, I, I really don't think they're coming down, especially okay. in, the, in the summer and midterm periods. Don't think. We'll, we'll
7: talk again, Paul. Thank you very much. So Athens in Greece... Is about the cheapest one to get away for an overall, but then it is a four-hour flight out of Dublin. Thanks for that, Polo Caneda, uh, Irish Independent. Yeah, we got a message on uh, hoarding, um, and I, I'll hold on to that until uh, tomorrow. There was one. No, I, actually, I'll do that one. I'll do that one. Don't, sir. I want to give a genuine tip to people in that situation. I used to do it. Then I went to counselling for something different. The counsellor didn't know I was hoarding, nor did they even ask but they did check if I had other kinds of behaviours and problems. Because of that, I know what my counselling was in no way tailored to hoarding. However, as the sessions went on, I stopped adding new things to the piles and eventually started to clear them. I wonder if a lot of people looked at this from the perspective of hurt and trauma rather than looking at the hoarding themselves. Would they find that more helpful? That's interesting. They got helped for what was ailing them, as it were, and the hoarding stopped. That's a result. That's interesting. That's one worth coming back to, which we might do. The programme edited by Fiona Corker and produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We'll see you tomorrow, just after nine.
5: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full
10: show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie.